Lieutenant Scott, where the hell is Marjorie? I'm Nina. trying, sir. Oh no, please, not gun. Damn. Welcome to the show that's got more metal than a Detroit Metal City concert. It's Gundam at MAHQ. Finally got to see that we last saw night. We that last night. <laughs> yeah, finally got to see that. Go that to DMC. Go to DMC. That show is insane. <laughs> when you have a whole chorus of nothing but the word rape, that means something. Wow. But, uh. But anyway, welcome to Gundam at MAHQ. This is Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by... Uh, Neezy, or Neo. And so bro, Ryu. And tonight we're going to rock grotesque. <laughs> no. um, we're going to be uh, talking about some stuff this episode. It's what we usually do on this podcast, if you've never had the misfortune of hearing us before. <laughs> so, uh, some, of it, have... some of it well-informed, some of it ill-informed. Exactly. So we're going to have uh, the ninth installment of our continuing series, Gundam Roundup, and this time we're going to be hitting up the uh, incredibly awesome Mobile Fighter G Gundam. We're also going to have another uh, Lelouch Extravaganza talking about uh, Code Geass. We're going to be catching up with some R2 reviews, and this time we're going to be going all the way from episode 13 to 20. Oh, only five more left. Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, any of you guys have any uh, important things to announce before we jump into uh, the highly anticipated Neo's news? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> I don't. So, bro. <laughs> oh, bro. Ne- Neo's got a lot of news to get down. I- I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, I got. So, bro, uh, since since we're recording on on uh, oh, on October fifth, are you heralding the return of the king? I am heralding the return of the king, and on top of mm. that. Um, there's word that um, I had said in the earlier episode about um, the Mobile Suit Gundam game on the, um, I'm sorry, Mobile Odds on the 360. Turns out um, that the game's still on for release in America and, of course, abroad, like in Europe and whatnot. Oh, um, way, to, way to really screw up. That, that oh, Demon Lord. Lord. Well, I will shut can, up. Uh, How about that? I will, I will just yeah, I'll button up. Yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> wait, wait, wait to go there. Oh, I was just trying to go in some freaking Saji bashing, and you had to go and change the topic to something entirely different. Because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a dork, and that's what I do. <laughs> Man, go for it, sir. It's not that. It's my my poor staff. They com- they compile these things, and then you shoot them down like that. Uh, I'm I know how Chris feels now, <laughs> as a newsman, as a respected newsman. But yeah. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, I will I will hand it over to you so you can hit us with another hard hitting installment of uh, Neo's news. Yes, and and thank you, Chris, and and thank you, Solbro. Um, this uh, this portion of of Neo's news is going to be always um, courtesy of the fine folks at GundamNews.net. And actually, this is something I had seen earlier this week. Uh, actually, maybe this week or the week before on the MechaTalk forum. Um, I guess that there was a there was a, a Korean contents fair, and I guess um, uh, Yoshiyuki Tamino uh, had visited to participate in it, 
And there was just some, you know, some things about him being, you know, former pu uh, pupil of Osama Tezuka and talking about some of his works. But I guess, you know, they talked it, they talked with him, had some, um, you know, I, I guess there was a, um, a press conference and, um, you know, he clarified some his own reasons for the Gundam C uh, series being has been being loved for so long. And uh, I guess he pretty much talked about why he is against uh, live action Gundam. And what? Uh, I guess one of the um, one of the questions is the question being, although although live action adaptations of anime have become popular lately, as seen with Transformers, do you have any plans of adapting Mobile Suit Gundam into a live action film? Quote, he said, uh, quote, uh, I have an interest in live action films for seven, several years before I start. I was producing television shows. I wanted to make something like Transformers. However, I thought that something like a live-action movie wouldn't last in those days since it would be restricted a lot by the sign of the times and fads. I am not interested in live-action films now because of that. So I, you know, kind of take that as what you want, folks. Um, you know, but I, I saw that there was a lot of discussion on that wow. on the MechaTalk forums. So uh, I, I kind of agree with him that maybe there shouldn't be a live-action Gundam, mainly because if you're going to do UC, um, I don't care. I'm not talking about the effects, but you're not going to find a dude cooler than Char. So <laughs> to, to, no one could play him. I agree with that. So I thought that I'm, was... I'm in a complete agreement. Anime should stay anime. Yeah. There's heard. no reason to, like, turn everything into a live-action movie. There's, there's some things that are, you know, well-suited, but that's the kind of stuff, like, you know, slice of life sitcom type things you know yeah Something i mean Gundam just is not suited for live action as seen by <coughs> yeah <laughs> well, what mean... about what about what about double zeta man it's anime janai <laughs> it's not anime but it's it's it's, it's something yeah it's 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 not live action i'll tell you that much it's drawings it's a new it's organism moving, it's moving pictures but um pictures of the picture house <laughs> This just in. This just in. Destination Burma. Um. <laughs> Destination Burma. Gundam official releases the latest cast members. Sergei Smirnoff is going to be done by voice by Michael Dobson. Somme Paris. Tabitha St. Germain. Maria Ismail. Paula Lindbergh. Graham Aker is also done by Paul Dobson. And Billy Katagiri is going to be done by Kirby Moreau. And Alejandro Corner is going to be done by Andrew Cavadas. Oh, no. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> any of those guys sound familiar there, Solbro, Chris? Um, anybody, the Dobsons. Anybody we should care about? Uh, yeah. Kirby Morrow, a.k.a. Yeah. Troy. Uh, Troy Barton, a.k.a. Bonnell. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Morocco from Inuyasha, too. Yes. And Morocco. Yep. Okay. Big Pimpin himself. Both the Dobsons, yeah, they're, they're well-known what about this uh, Graham Aker pick? Is this a good one, guys, or Paul Dobson? Paul Dobson is, is a good pick. Who is he? I'm, I'm trying to remember who he was in um in in a, a voice in Dragon Ball. He was in the original Dragon Ball Z dub. Oh, okay. Um, he was also in um yeah, I believe he was involved with Gundam Wing, but I I can't. Okay, that's cool. right now. I can't figure out who he well, is. Well, that'll go to our next. Um, I guess in um, there's some talk in one of the Gundam Aces that uh. 
we've, we've been kind of hearing that there's going to be a 30th anniversary Gundam, and I guess there's some talk that it's going to be a surprise project. And I guess Bandai or Sunrise is going to announce that in the spring of 2009 yeah. uh, after the second season of Double uh, O ends its run. So uh, whatever information, and I'm sure Gundam News, they're going to be on top of that too. Mark, um, it on, be, mark it on your calendar, April 7th, 2009, 30th anniversary of Well, Gundam. I wouldn't use that as like the date, well, but they're... They they say they'll probably Around announce it in 2009 when Gundamo ends its run, but um, you know, so that's just some things there. But um, gonna go to some uh, good old um, listener submitted topics now. I I I do want to say to people when we submit topics or, or articles, actually, um, try to try to use um, other sources that this newscaster doesn't use on his own. Um, kind of the point of what I'm doing here is I, I kind of want to see some of the off the wall things that are out there, um, you know that that are you know that are just kind of going on, you know, with hard news or even um, you know the WTF. So, uh, you know, I appreciate the responses, but you know, try to make it where um, you know this, these are some kind of uh, off the wall type of things out there. But once again, I thank everybody for their submissions and uh, you know keep them coming, and a lot of them have been great. And once again, the bar to get the Neo Salute, like I've said earlier, is to surpass Pundum. If you can do that, the only downside of that is if we sur surpass Pundum, we'll probably be down one host. So we'll probably have to have a, and MHQ will probably die because Chris will be dead. But, um, well. <laughs> but uh, my first article here, this is actually um, a very interesting article. It's, it's not it's kind of hard news. It's very much hard news. And, um, Nothing really specific, but I guess it ties in pretty well that today is the, um, that we're recording this, that the debut of uh, second season of Double O has happened. And this is submitted by a mystery MechaTalk forum person. He's, he's a longtime uh, member of the forums, but I think he only has one or two posts, and uh, that's the uh, official photographer of Gundam, um, the boy Wonder. And... Uh, <laughs> It's actually a pretty interesting thing. This comes courtesy of uh, the folks at CNN.com, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it here. But I guess there's a new space race that's going underway, and um, it's, it's talking about space elevators. Yes. And I guess there is a conference that's being held in Japan this November, and I guess there's going to be hundreds of engineers and scientists from Asia, Europe, and the Americas working on to... Um, you know, design and, 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 you know, I guess to kind of spit out ideas about this. Uh, basically, the, you know, the, in the article they describe what, the, what a space elevator is and talks about how, um, you know, some examples of how space elevators have been and, and mass drivers have been uh, part of uh, science fiction no novels in the past. Um, and it's pretty interesting because there are, uh, I, I guess there is a... Um, uh, there's something called the Jap Japan Space Elevator Association. They're working on something. Right. Um, there's the U.S.-based uh, Space Word Foundation and a European organization based in Luxembourg that's developing the, an elevator design also. Uh, the Lifeport Group in uh, the U.S. is working on a, a design, and they, it's believed that there's probably about over uh, 300 scientists and engineers around the globe working on this. And this is very interesting is that NASA is holding a $4 million space elevator challenge to encourage designs of a, space, uh, special, uh, of a successful space elevator. Wow. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things that are, are going to be inhibiting this. But I guess one of the things that's really driving um, 
driving this race to develop a space elevator is this material called uh, carbon nanotube. And I guess it's very lightweight and its tensile strength is very strong, is stronger than steel. And I guess this is something that they could possibly use in that. But Stranger than fiction. Realistically, um, some of the comments here, they basically said it's probably going to be maybe 100 or 200 years away. So um, wow. if this is kind of... of um, Life, real life imitating art. I guess you could kind of take it on that, but I'd like to thank old uh, Mr. Boy Wonder for his submission. And I saw that on the news, and if you don't cover it, there's something else in addition to that that is that was really weird that was also made that, that uh, public at that time. But go ahead, man. Well, that, well, thank you for killing all these poor people that are submitting stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you, just in case you don't say oh, it. Yes, <laughs> and, and and remember, you can always submit these things at the Neo's News topics um you know, submitted articles thread on mecha talk but um and this is actually something courtesy of uh, demon lord of l5 he's becoming one of my one of my news hounds here um, oh, my, my, my buddy on xbox live man on soul Calibur. um but this go this goes to something that we spoke about uh a few episodes ago uh dealing with the um our second part of the anime industry um some of the things that are doing some of the effects going on and i i guess um we had spoken in that about how um gonzo is going to be streaming a, a mecha anime called line barrels of iron on crunchyroll and i guess the streams and downloads are going to begin two hours after the um the premiere of the robot anime so um, First episode's already out as of the time we're recording this. Yeah, so I guess they're going to be doing doing this, and um, I guess the story is uh, a boy who's injured by a satellite accident awakens a half year later with strange powers, and uh, he eventually joins a secretive medical conglomerate to pilot its life barrel robot. But, um, you know, I guess... Well, that's cool. Not exactly it, because... Uh Gonzo, for whatever reason, decided to change a lot of the beginning of the story because I've read some of the manga. Right. So they change a lot of the stuff. So it it, it okay. plays out much more generically in the anime version. Well, I guess um, it's gonna the creative producer is Goro Taniguchi on this one. So really, I guess this is something you definitely want to take a look at. He's responsible for um, I don't know Kogeas. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, and so I mean it it. It's just kind of one of these things where, you know, we were talking about it a few episodes ago, and I guess they're really going forward with this stuff to uh, stream these things to get these uh, shows out uh, a lot sooner for people. So um, another st another story here, and this is from uh, Punch-A-Peach, and this is actually ties in a little bit with um, uh, Macross Frontier. I guess, I don't know if you guys, I had heard about it earlier this week, but I didn't really read anything on the article about it. And this is through the Associated Press. You heard about a man that flew over um, the English Channel in like uh, a, a suit, like a flying, w a jet wing that he made? Yes. Yeah. Wow. And this is kind of the story that he brought. I guess there was a Swedish, uh, Swiss daredevil that crossed on it. It's basically a homemade jet propelled wing. And it's kind of cool if you if you go to uh, the Neo's news site on Mecha Talk and look at the link that he actually submitted. There's some pictures on it, and it looks very close to the Exogears from Macross Frontier. Uh, it's what? there's a there's a carbon composite wing that weighs about 121 pounds, and it has uh, four kerosene burning jet turbines that keep him up. He doesn't have any steering wheels, but he uses his body to control the movements. You know, and he wore a heat resistance, um, you know, suit similar to you know what a race car driver would have. But yeah, if you go there, there's some there's some 
pretty cool pictures on it. And, you know, he, of course, he landed with a, a parachute. He didn't actually land it like they do in Macross. But it is kind of, uh, once again, you know, um, uh, life imitating art there. So kind of a cool little thing. And my last uh, listener submitted news article, and this was the one that um, Solbro had to just destroy earlier. <laughs> Um, and this is and Demon Lord of L5. I you have full permission to uh, put him in his place, but I guess there is now some final mobile ops, the one-year war release dates. Now I would always say these are probably subject to change, but I guess for the UK and continental Europe, it's already come out. It came out in September 30th, um, and for of last year actually. Last year, yeah, I guess it did. Well, that it, was that was the original day. They they um they updated it. It's, it's supposed to come out next year now over there. Okay. Along, as far and as I, know. I guess December third is two thousand eight is for the U.S. release. Yeah. And I guess uh, Australia is to be announced. So I guess um, you know for all those all those Australia doesn't matter. They're gonna be they're gonna be destroyed by the colonies. So yeah. yeah. Just drop a drop a colony on them. I'm sure. If, for all those guys, you know, the three or four guys along with Solbro that are waiting for that game, um, you know, just mark December 3rd on your calendar and watch it change again. But Not, um, not, the, not the sound like I'm getting paid to make a plug, but if you go to elecplay.com and you go to, the, you go to their um, October 1st broadcast, just go to their second um, segment of that episode and actually go into um, the uh, mobile ops game and they show some footage and they talk to some of the people behind the, uh, the English version of the game. Hmm. But um, the one thing I wanted to bring up was uh, earlier this week I saw that um, on the news that this team of um, robot um, developers developed a giant spider, and they piloted it up and they they used it to climb up these skyscrapers. And I, I was watching footage of that; it looked amazing. But I mean, it was just you know, it was it was huge. I think was I mean, submit uh, the topic to me. I will read it. <laughs> I should have done that. I'm sorry. The strand, you had to go through the standard channel, so oh, bro. Man, I, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm breaking protocol, man. Yes, a, I mean a red you're, tape cutter. You're, you're, we're, gonna, <laughs> we're gonna not recognize that story. You're, right. you're destroying. <laughs> you're destroying the demon lord. I mean, he's that uh, flushing sound you hear. He's so you know, he's one of my news hounds, and you know. <laughs> And you know, you, you know these guys. You know they get paid by the story. Man, that's the Matt Scott you're talking about. The remarks will be stricken from the record. You oh, just, man. you just took money out of that man's mouth. Well, Demon Lord, gonna, don't worry. I'll apologize you when I beat your ass in um, some Soul Calibur Four. So, <laughs> I'll see you all. Um, that's <laughs> my, my friend, the Mad Scotsman. But that's uh, that's about it on the news front. There, kind of light, but actually a lot more informative this time. On the, uh, you know, a lot more real life than what we normally have. So. Uh, once again, like I said, you guys keep submitting those topics and, um, you know, try to find some things outside of the, the normal news channels that I use, um, you know, because that's kind of the way that we're kind of, I've kind of envisioned this. And once again, if you want the Neo salute, you have to surpass Pundum. And I know that story is out there. But um, that's it, Chris. Uh, I don't have anything else. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back on Gundam at MAHQ. Damn you! I almost numbchucked you. You don't even realize. Need a cake, but you don't want something boring from the local supermarket or bakery? In the South Florida area, try EpicSugarWorks.com. This bakery specializes in creating cakes based off of your favorite anime series 
video game character, or whatever custom design you're looking for. Their online store also features anime and video game themed chocolate lollipops, as well as gift certificates if you want to give something to somebody. So if you're looking for a cake that's above the norm, go to EpicSugarWorks.com. It's epically delicious. I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. Welcome back to Gundammit MAHQ. You've joined us as we're reconvening on our reviews of Code Geass, Lelouchia the Rebellion R2. And in this segment, we're going to review episodes 13 through 16 of the series. And the first episode we're reviewing, of course, is Lucky Number 13, and that would be The Assassin from the Past. Some events in this episode, at the beginning, Shirley has a terrifying nightmare, kind of a culmination of all the things she's forgotten, including the big thing that Lelouch is zero. She wakes up in a cold sweat in her bedroom. Elsewhere, in China, Lee is fending off the forces of the assorted Chinese countries that are now in China, now it's broken up, and Lelouch just surmises that they're just fighting local armies, as he tells Rolo. Back in Tokyo, Shirley's on the subway, and she begins to question what is reality, noticing that none of these the governor of the settlement, among other things. She has realized the truth behind. Before she gets off at Ikeburo Station, Lelouch is already there, guessing transit employees for a new plot. Meeting up with Suzaku at the station, Kudurugi asks for her reason behind their rendezvous, only for the conversation to be interrupted by Lelouch's sudden appearance. Meanwhile, at Ashford, Valletta, Rolo, and Sayoko have a special guest visitor in Jeremiah Gottwald, who Valletta is shocked to see again. Orange Kuhn quickly realizes that the agents posted at the school have been compromised by Lelouch's guess and disembowels them and those that attempt to stop him from finding Lamperouge. At the steps of the clubhouse, the unassuming Sayoko greets him. Back at the Gius order, we see Cornelia and Bartley again as Bartley's telling Cornelia about her father's, the Emperor's plot to destroy the gods, and that's when she is introduced to V2. She instantly kills him, but finds out that her knife had no effect, and also finds out that V2 is her uncle at the same time. Sayoko and Rolo fight off Jeremiah, but uh, he gets the best of them both, and Valletta pretty much saves them both by telling Jeremiah that Lelouch is at the train station, which he pretty much takes off to go find him. Shirley has a panic attack as she's with both Lelouch and Suzaku. She realizes that they could be co-conspirators and jumps on the ledge of the border to the ghetto and to the train station and falls off. Lelouch dives and saves her, but he's also dangling at a thread, and Suzaku also has hold of him. When Shirley wants him to release her and let her die, Lelouch tells her that he no longer wants to lose anybody of importance to him in his life anymore. And and she kind of sobers up and allows her to save him, and Suzaku pulls them both up. Now calm down, Shirley leaves off with um, Suzaku to talk about things, and Lelouch goes on with his plot. Pretty much a riot starts out at the station as Jeremiah arrives, knocking out guards and trying to find Lelouch. Also, smoke bombs go off, causing the passengers there to break out of the place, and Jeremiah goes in. Also, after Suzaku and Shirley have their talk, they arrive at the scene of panic, and Suzaku takes control of the situation while Shirley runs inside after not being able to get a hold of Lelouch. Inside, Jeremiah finds reaches Lelouch and he's annoyed by Jeremiah's persistence. Lelouch is ready to put the kibosh on the Avenger when his persistence is revealed to be loyalty that drove him to find Lampa Rouge. Loyalty to Princess Marianne, who of which Gottwald once served before her untimely death. Before Orange Coon is given into the death knell of the Gifunda server, Lelouch cuts it off and runs to his aid. Realizing that Jeremiah didn't come to kill him but instead asks him for his loyalty, of which Jeremiah is more than willing to give. At the same time Rolo runs into Shirley inside of the train station and Shirley is looking for Lelouch she also found a gun from one of the unconscious guards. She asks Rolo if he cares for Lelouch, and Rolo says that he's his only brother. 
and activates his gears on Shirley. Later on, when Lelouch cuts through the smoke in the terminal, he finds a figure laying in the mist, almost in the terminal state. To his dismay, it's none other than Shirley lying in a pool of her own blood. Elated to see her beloved Lulu one last time before her end, she reveals that she loves him despite the death of her father and for manipulating her memories. Even though she was further tampered with by the Emperor's gears, she managed to fall in love with him all over again, and no matter how many times she is reborn, she is destined to do so. Lelouch attempts to use his gears on her to keep her alive, but his attempts are inevitably futile. Upon her tragic passing, Lelouch screams in despair. Alright, Chris, and, take it. Take uh, your analysis on this one, because this is uh, this episode was tailor-made for you. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> well, so well, first, you know, to mention during that summary that uh, the reason Rolo busted out his geas on Shirley is because she mentioned Nunnally. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. To him, is like the taboo, rage-inducing word. Very true. So, um, <clears throat> this, of course, was the episode that ended with um, lots of cries of Suzaku did it. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I meant, you take it. <laughs> So I just sort of had to mention that again, now that we're actually at this point. So, um, yeah, pretty big episode in terms of some things changing. Uh, we got Jeremiah appearing, and you know, there's the revelation for some that uh, he was loyal to Empress Marianne. But if you have seen the picture dramas for the first season, you would know yeah. that that was already the case, because he specifically tells Valletta that... Um, he, he uh, was loyal to Marianne and that uh, to make up for his failure to protect her, he had hoped to become the Knight of One. So some people might have thought that this came out of nowhere, that Jeremiah wanted to be loyal to Lelouch, but it was perfectly laid out in the, the picture drama. So uh, it's interesting, I think, the conversation that uh, Shirley has with uh, Suzaku where he's basically saying that he can't forgive Lelouch. Yeah. And she's saying, well, it's not that he can't be forgiven. It's just that you don't want to forgive him. Yeah. And uh, I think that kind of opens Suzaku's eyes a little bit. Also, uh, you know, at the very end, I think her death is pretty tragic from the sense that, you know, she's just a civilian bystander. Yeah. And this poor girl who never did anything to anybody has just been messed with so many times during the course of this series. It's like, wow, on top of everything, you know, first losing her father, then Lelouch erasing her memories, then she gets them back, then Charles gets rid of them, then she gets them back again, and now she's dying. Yeah. It's like, man, they really put this poor girl through the ringer. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say probably um, uh, for myself, this is probably the most, uh, one of the more powerful episodes of the show um like you said it really showed this really kind of showed in a way with Shirley how um the Gius does bring uh despair to everyone who has it and um you know because you have this poor girl that's just been you know manipulated by everyone and just ends up just dying a, a senseless death um you know the the fact of you also get that Lelouch actually finally copes with his feelings towards her and once again, after what happened with Nunnally earlier, that it just seems like everything that he has is being taken away from him, even though he has the power to make people do whatever. So, um, you know, pretty powerful. And, and um, you know, the whole thing with um, Jeremiah was a nice thing to see. Kind of, you're kind of waiting for the turncoat to kind of show up in this um, uh, in this season, a la like uh, what what was his face, uh, D. Hart in the in the first season. So. Uh, 
uh, Chris in, in the picture drama, that was his first and that was his first assignment too, wasn't it? Um, yeah, he was a total rookie, and that was his very first assignment. And the security detail for Marianne. Yeah, and they were kind of like um, they were kind of like ostracized by the rest of I think the forces. It seemed like for you know letting something like that happen, but. Um, you know, powerful episode, um, you know, it, it really kind of ramps up everything. We see that, you know, kind of does the whole thing of, uh, Rolo being that little psycho, the psycho girlfriend type of thing with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, you know, mentioning Nunnally's name and, um, you know, it, it, it definitely was a nice, nice return to see, uh, uh, you know, old orange coon kind of show up there, but. Uh, hey, what can you say? Rolo really want, really, 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 really wants to be with his Onisama. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> but uh, Solbro, any comments on episode thirteen? It was it was heartbreaking, but uh, I, something in it that happened had I believe had to happen, and that was um, surely, I believe her dying would be uh, something that would bolster not only Lelouch's development but the the plot of the show and make him um, stronger. She 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 had come so close to dying in the, in season 1, you know, several times and then you know here we are it finally the inevitable finally happened and I, I, I as much as I hated to see her go it it just it it they made for a really exciting episode especially when they damn near killed her in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> Only it's like okay, she's safe. Oh no, not yeah. not really. She cheated and, death about two or three times in oh this God. in that episode. But other than that, it was an outstanding episode and is one of the hallmarks of the series. It's really when the tone for the show this season starts to change and we finally get out of the rut of the um of the retreads and get into some new area new material and I, I, I episode thirteen I have to thank for that. With the with the subtitle of Suzaku did it. <laughs> <laughs> but um I guess that would kind of bring us to episode 14, Chris. Yes, which is Gius Hunt. And this one starts off with a uh, flashback to 1997 with V2 and Charles, a younger Charles, talking about their plan to uh, kill the gods and destroy the world's lies and all that jazz. And we come to the present where it just picks up immediately after with Lelouch over Shirley's body and Rolo shows up, basically admits that he did it because he was trying to take out Lelouch's enemies. And Lelouch, with his game face, basically says, like, good job, boy. Yeah. So... This definitely is the catalyst for what happens next because Cornelia is now a prisoner of V2 in the Gius Order. And we've also got Shirley's funeral, which Lelouch is not at. at all. That's because he's planning to take his revenge against V2. And C2 basically calls him out on this and he says, yeah, it is revenge, but you know, it's the least I can do for Shirley. And we got to get rid of this guy anyway. Later, V2 gets a uh, call on the private line from Lelouch, who's at school. And you know they have a brief antagonistic conversation v2 sort of like well you know by the time you get here i'm already going to be gone so what can you do and then it's at that second that a whole bunch of akatsuki's start attacking the gius order base in china and we see that lulush was actually in a box designed to look like his room and he was really right outside the gius order the whole time and he just needed to distract v2 momentarily so you've got now this wave of akatsuki's smashing into the gius order's underground complex and they're just mowing down everybody they're mowing down scientists workers gius kids and this is where some trouble starts to happen because some of the black knights they have some doubts about what they're doing they've just been told that they're fighting people who have been genetically modified obviously lush is not going to tell them about gius and in the meantime poor old bartley gets cut down by some machine gun fire luck ran out <laughs> his luck ran out you know poor fat bastard but um 
Because he was, the he, uh, I was just going to say, he was the one like minor, minor guy that lasted so much longer than he probably should have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. At the same time, during this battle, Lelouch is pretty convinced that he's cornered V2 and that he'll be able to take care of two birds with one stone because he put a bomb on Rolo's Vincent and is going to basically kill Rolo to get revenge for, for Shirley. But unfortunately, the good old Siegfried, the orange mobile armor from Season 1, busts through, piloted by V2, and it takes it to an air battle. Lelouch basically tells Rolo to get onto it because he has a special plan. Just was about to kill Rolo, Cornelia breaks out and uses a Nakatsuki that's been loaded up with weapons to start blasting the Siegfried. Then everyone sort of combines their powers to take down the Siegfried. V2's injured, he's escaping to this big chamber and this door opens and Charles is there waiting for him. And then Lelouch gets there, sort of like blinded by this flash of light. And on a cliffhanger with Lelouch and the Shinkiro are now inside the Sword of Akasha with Charles. Yep, uh, pretty... Uh... Pretty violent and um, kind of intense episode, I would have to say. On Very this fast one. moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, just seeing, you know, once again, Lelouch getting back to the old manipulative ways of, um, you know, using the Black Knights as kind of his, um, you know, his kind of like stormtroopers in a sense on this one where they're just mowing down everyone. I mean, it was... Uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty hardcore. But once again, you know, um, it was something that had to have been done. And um, you know, like you said, Bartley, his time ran out. And you know, you got, you got, um, what was it? We got a little backstory of uh, V2 and Charles, and and seeing that this this little plan of theirs has actually been going on for quite a time. So um, you know, um, this. Another great episode to really follow up with uh, the previous episode where, um, you know, you have a little bit more kind of, I guess in some ways you could kind of call this Lelouch's counterattack on stuff because, <laughs> uh, you know, he just kind of goes off and, you know, with the Gius and everything in the Gius order. So, um, you know, but outstanding up. Well, um, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I if anything, um, seeing the Gius order and just seeing the massacre there, it, it was kind of wild because uh, you, you see that they ha they were developing other other students, other kids mm -hmm. for the Gius. I mean, I guess you, this is how you find out where Rolo comes from. And it wasn't there a scene where Rolo actually kills? Yeah, he kills a whole kills. bunch of. They see him. They call him mm -hmm. brother. And they're like, "Oh, it's it's Rolo," and he just and then, boom, he just kills all of them. Just yeah. mows them down with no with no second thought about it, and just just see how. You know how desensitized he is to death. You know, it's, he's 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 past the point of no return. I mean, the only thing that makes him human is Lelouch, and um, I kind of wanted to see him die. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sure I wasn't alone in that, but um, I, I, I at this point in the show, it's like, man, you kill Shirley, you got to go. And um, <laughs> of course, we got robbed of that. But you know, they were just savoring it for a possible later episode. But for the most part, it, it was it was a solid up. It was it was good to see. Um, uh, Cornelia get down, get a, get a couple kills. Yeah, <laughs> and then she got jacked by um, Jeremiah, of course. But I old, love this. Was it doing the old one armed? Exactly. Thing. I love this episode. I thought it was great. She's like the female DT, Desert Tiger. <laughs> she just won't die. <laughs> Except she's got both her eyes. Yeah. But awesome episode, Chris. Any thoughts? Uh. Pretty much what you guys have said. Uh, I think it's it's nice to uh, see Lelouch just sort of jump into 
things and, and take action to wipe out V2, which is one of his goals anyway. Yeah. But it was just brought on by, you know, the, the rage he feels over Shirley's death. And it was interesting to see the Sutherland, not the Sutherland, the, uh, the Siegfried back in action. And yeah. uh, V2 certainly seems to use it more effectively than old Orange did back in season one. <laughs> yeah, especially since, yeah. Kind of guys. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely interesting that, that one scene that we mentioned where uh, Rolo just comes in and wipes out all those Gius kids. Yeah. And uh, as we're going to see, this obviously creates more problems for Lelouch in the future. Yeah. Uh, that he, number one, is having uh, his Black Knights take out all these people with really no explanation, but also uh, that he's keeping Toto and all these other people in the dark about what he's doing. Yeah. And this is when... Kind of a last thing. This is when these guys really started questioning things because when they started doing the massacre on the uh, on the scientists and stuff, you know, some of the, you know, some of the some of the pilots are just kind of sitting there like, you know, what are we doing? You know, what what is this all about? And you know, you can definitely see that kind of the sort uh, the seeds of discourse are kind of being seeded in the uh, Black Knights there. So, but yeah, but uh, any other comments? I guess that would nope. bring us to uh, probably one of the craziest episodes, which was episode 15, The World of Sea. Uh, we kind of pick up where we left off in episode 14, and we see that Lelouch is there with Charles. You know, of course, we have a little banter back and forth about why Charles didn't protect Marianne, and, you know, Charles starts going in his whole creation philosophies there. Lelouch tries to use the Gius on him. It's not being able to work, but then he shoots up a little bunch of small mirrors and he uses the geas on them and it reflects and he tells charles to kill himself and charles does and he pulls out the gun and shoots himself in the heart we kind of fast forward to seeing that callan is now being interrogated by suzaku and he's actually going to do an interesting approach to get some information from her by using the refrain probably one of the best scenes of this episode is when she's saying if you use this on me to get the information you're basically going to be just like lelouch so um you know outside of what shirley said to him a couple of episodes so it's prior, and then this now, he's uh, really starting to doubt what's going on. Back at the uh, sort of Akashu, Charles gets up, and, you know, this is when Lelouch figures out now that Charles is immortal, and, you know, that he's got, and Charles is telling him that he has a, a new power to replace the Gius. Then he kind of puts Lelouch in this weird room surrounded by masks, and they kind of go through this whole thing about people's masks, and why does Lelouch want the truth from Charles when he's hiding the truth from everyone else as zero? And then we see to come up but she's talking about how she's been saying pretty much since day one that she wants to get her contract fulfilled and i guess charles can do it now we get to find out what pretty much everybody thought that she her contract was just to die you know that she's gone through so much life seeing people die and you know she's just just keeps going on that she just wants to get rid of everything and, and to just die herself and we see some things about her back in like a european countryside as a girl we find out about how she got the geese and how she became what she is and a little bit more specifics of the Gius contract between the Giaser and the Giasi. You know, then we kind of go into Dallas, and we see that Schneisel and his little boy toy cannon are with <laughs> Nina, and they're doing some testing on the old Flea. We also find out that Area 11's status is going on of the probationary thing 
because there's been some progress in order there. And then we're back in Area 11. We see Sayako and Valletta fight. Of course, Ogi, like the dummy he is, has to take a dagger in the chest there, and then he falls off the cliff, and then Valletta jumps after him. So kind of a weird thing there. We get back. We see some more things about we find out about this nun that had Trixie too and gave her immortality. And we learn some more things about the thought elevator, some things that we really don't really have the time to go into. And then we kind of end with, we see that the Flea bomb, there's a successful detonation. Schneisel tells Nina she's a genius and looks like they're ready to go use that. Pretty much we end with Lelouch and C2 reappearing at the Gius order area and basically we're left on the cliffhanger she doesn't even recognize Lelouch and asks if she's the new master so um kind of a trippy one thoughts guys well definitely a, a trippy episode with lots of you know philosophy and talking heads literally and, and sort of weird stuff and it's interesting that we finally see the backstory on on c2 that she was just some peasant girl in medieval times and this nun gave her uh, Gius, which for C2 manifested itself as it made people love her. Yeah. She kind of got sick of that because people didn't really love her because they they loved her, but because they were Gius too. And then eventually how that nun uh, tricked C2 into taking her code and becoming immortal because the nun wanted to die. So now we sort of see that uh, C2's in the same position, but she doesn't want to force that onto Lelouch. So she ends up, you know, going with Charles, but then when Lelouch interferes, that sort of, you know, causes her to change her mind, and she steps away from Charles, but things get kind of screwed up, and that's how she ends up with um, her lost memories, and basically she's now completely reverted to being a medieval peasant girl. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, it, w it was, um, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting that, you know, you kind of knew that she wanted to die, but you know we get to we get we're told that and you know validation on that and you know once again even though she's been kind of trying to deny it the whole time that she does has has feelings for Lelouch so yeah. but uh, Solbro although the, although this episode seems like a a, a big information dump I, I liked it a lot for the fact that we got to finally know about Cece and. See, see her past to see what she was finally about. I mean, we waited pretty much the whole first season and the half of the second to find out, you know, what was going on with her. And granted, we, we didn't learn enough, but we, we, we learned quite a bit, at least what was pivotal to the story. And um, to see what she's been faced with and to see that she's tired of living. You know, um, as Neo surmised, and a lot of people probably surmised that, you know, she she pretty much wants to die. And, you know, being an immortal, it, it, that is only fun for... You Has know, its maybe downfalls. The first for the first couple hundred a year, couple hundred years, <laughs> and then it gets old. <laughs> but to see her revert back to um, her old self, though, that was quite the shock at the end. And um, of course, you know, the show has a twist every episode, but that was that was pretty detrimental because it was uh, it was like C, it was like C two died. And um, to me, you know, she reverted back to someone else that we are not familiar with at all, almost a d different person entirely. And I kind of like that little shock at the end, but a great episode, I gotta say. Yeah, I mean, we, I kind of went through it very quickly, and, and the, the reason why I was a little rushed on that was mainly because there is, like uh, Solbera said, there's a ton of information in that, yeah. and there's a lot of stuff left up to your interpretation, so we could actually probably do a whole segment just on that episode alone. Um, but um, I guess, guys, any other thoughts in 15 before we move on? Nope. Okay, I guess that's going to bring us to 
the the last episode that we'll be reviewing in this uh, segment here, which will be episode 16, uh, United Federation of Nations Resolution 1. And we're... Ouch. <laughs> we uh we kind of we're, we're back in area 11 and we find out in one like kind of one of the general staff meetings that none of least told by our staff that charles is missing and that they're going to be keeping that fact uh, silent the glaston knights are kind of figuring out how they're going to fight the chinese federation without charles there to declare war because he is absolute ruler on the ikaruga lelouch notices that all the britannia's movements indicate that charles is missing so he surmises that he's still trapped in the sort of a costume lelouch gets a call from Jeremiah, who said he's captured Cornelia, and she gets on this whole thing. She wants to know what he's going to do with his cursed power and actually asks him if what he's doing is to save Nunnally, and he pretty much says it is. Then later on, we see that Lelouch is speaking to an audience of national representatives and telling him that by signing this charter, they've created the United Federation of Nations. Then we see poor C2. She's the little peasant girl, and she's in Lelouch's room. She hits the TV, freaks out, and because I guess she still thinks it's like the 1600s, and but for whatever reason Lelouch brings her some pizza and she still loves pizza so Heck yes but uh <laughs> um we see that Suzaku is with Anya and they're kind of talking about memories and Anya comes to the resolution that memories are unreliable because she talks about how she has a diary from nine years ago and she doesn't even remember writing anything in it. And while they're kind of talking, a knife is thrown at Suzaku. And of course, Suzaku being, you know, the grand champion of everything, he's able to catch it. And, and then we're introduced to uh, Knight of Ten Luciano Bradley, who's known as the Vampire of Britannia on the battlefield. And this guy's kind of a weird kind of just outside of some of the other knights of round that we've been introduced. This guy's, you know, not as noble and you know just kind of crazy so sadistic kind of yeah but we'll, we'll hit that later and then we see that millie's still doing the old you know the new show and we find out that poland and italy are still uh, around and they've actually joined the unf we see that guilford's talking about this military parade and the preparations are complete and he gets a surprise call from jeremiah and then we see that cannon and bismarck who's the knight of one are criticizing the unf for having an uncoordinated military but schneisel actually thinks that that's kind of to their advantage Kagali um, announces that all the 46... Kagali. Who? Kagala. Who, who's that chick again? Who's this girl? Kaguya, not Kagali. <laughs> Sorry. You're getting your shows crossed there, buddy. I am. You got destiny on the brain. Kaguya. Um, Kagali is crying. <laughs> she probably is. Um, <laughs> Kaguya. <laughs> Kaguya announces that all 47 nations that signed the charter are going to relinquish their rights to the military force and be protected by the Black Knights Corporation with zero as CEO. So that was kind of funny. And there's this whole big thing where Kaguya talks about Japan is suffering from unjust occupation and they're requesting assistance from the Black Knights. And the Black Knights then advance towards Japan. And then during this broadcast, it's being hacked by Charles. And then Charles basically says that the uh, resolution only did was to divide the world into two sides, those with Britannia and those who are against it, basically saying that whoever wins this war is going to win the world. Lush kind of freaks out because of this transmission, goes back to his room, and then he's wondering how he's going to be able to get Nunnally, runs through several plans in his head. And then poor C2 as the little peasant girl, she offers him some pizza. He goes all crazy breaks the dish and then she's all scared and then she had her hand cut and you know it was kind of a seeing that the stress is definitely getting on him and uh, right when he's helping her out putting a band-aid on her he calls suzaku and he asks uh, suzaku if area 11's in danger suzaku tells him it's up to him to decide and then you know and then he asks him if he's zero and of course Lelouch says he is and then 
Luce tells Suzaku to take care of Nunnally. They agree, and then they should meet alone at the Kugurui Temple in Area 11. That was episode 16. Thoughts? It's a big time. It's another one of those episodes where they set up the pins so the next next episode can knock them down. (laughs) (laughs) But it was an awesome app. I mean, a lot of things happened in this episode. I mean, just you running down the the whole list of things, like, Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was quite a few things. I mean, um, Guilford gets the mysterious call from Jeremiah, who he hasn't spoke to in ages. And, um, and of course, uh, the big revelation again that um, Suzaku, uh, um, Suzaku finally gets loose to admit that he's zero and for the second time. And um, it's, it, it, was just, it was a lot happening in this episode. For the most part, it, it, it's one of those thankless episodes, but I thought it was still good. <laughs> Chris? Uh, definitely a lot of setup going on and, uh, you know, some, some new characters. Yet another night of rounds, this time the kind of bloodthirsty uh, Luciano, who basically is just, you know, your typical Britannian dick. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> Lelouch trying to, you know, do some masterful moves with this United Federation of Nations, but unfortunately it doesn't all quite go just as planned when uh, when Charles shows up and interrupts the party. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that, you know, as Lelouch is running through all these possibilities that um, to protect not only that he has nothing left but to turn to Suzaku, who he, of course, hates intensely for selling him out to Charles after season one. So yeah. it just sort of shows how desperate he is that he has to turn to his worst enemy to uh, ask him to save Nunnally. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it, it was... It was definitely seen, you know, it was kind of one of these things where we're kind of seeing a pattern here where Luce kind of, you know, he's back to the old outsmarting every, everybody like he did in episode, the episode previous. But in this one, he's getting outsmarted and he's getting, he's actually getting so desperate now to, you know, take, have, um, you know, not only be safe and figure out what to do that he, like you said, he's going to the guy that basically he just despises and, and cannot, um, you know, cannot stand. The 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 other interesting thing in this was the uh, whole thing with Anya about her not being able to remember things that you know were recorded in the diary that was like nine years ago. So uh, that's when it kind of makes you wonder if um, how many of the people in the Britannian hierarchy are have been um, you know influenced by Charles and with uh, with his memory rewrites there. So and um, you know other than that, pretty outstanding episode. But I'm I'm with Soulbro definitely. You definitely see kind of the pins being stacked up before they're going to get knocked down again. But oh, yeah. Any other comments, guys? Nope. All right. I guess that... Uh, that brings um, that brings this first part of our Gears reviews for this episode to an end. And we'll be back again in a few moments on Gundam at MAHQ. Boy, it's lucky you had these compartments. Use them for smuggling. I never thought I'd be smuggling myself in this is ridiculous. Even if I could take off, I'd never get past the tractor beam. Leave that to me. Goddamn fool, I knew that you were going to say that. Who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Ironhide, report to me at once. Every time I look into a monitor prime, my circuit sizzle. When are we going to start busting Decepticons? 
I want you to make a special run to Autobot City on Earth. Listen, Ironhide. We don't have enough energon cubes to power a full-scale assault. Ready the shuttle for launch. Your days are numbered now, Decepticons. Let's try it. Ultra Magnus, because of you guys. 
Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Neo, and we're going to be going with... Uh, this is going to be segment nine of uh, the ongoing segment of Gundam Roundup, uh, which we're going to actually uh, delve into the first alternate century um, Gundam show, uh, kind of a milestone in a lot of ways of what this show is, um, Mobile, Suit, Mobile Fighter G Gundam. Um, actually, the title changed a little bit than most normal Gundam shows, but this was the first alternate century, meaning that it was not the, it was not set in any of the previous incarnations of Gundam in the Universal Century. This was actually done in what was called Future Century, um, and the formula on this show is a little bit different than some of the other Gundam uh, shows in the aspect of um, the Gundams and the mobile suits in this show are actually used to fight uh, to fight each other, but using martial arts and we kind of begin when it's in Future Century 60, and we find out that there's a, uh, what's going to be called the Gundam fight. And, and basically what has happened is, as opposed to some of the other earlier Gundam shows, when um, you know the elite stayed on Earth and they put the poor masses up in the space, in, in, Gun- in G Gundam, it was, the, it was the opposite. The elite moved up to the space colonies, and all the people that couldn't afford to stayed on the Earth. And to sell... Uh, to settle world conflicts, they created something called the Gundam Fight. Basically what the Gundam Fight was like a round-robin martial arts tournament. Think of the tournaments in Dragon Ball Z uh, when they had the you know, fight to be grand champion there. Oh, man. And Boudicca. basically each uh, country has their own Gundam and they fight in like preliminary rounds on Earth. They go to the final Gundam Fight and whoever wins the Gundam Fight basically is the ruler of the uh, world government for like the next four years. Um, we're introduced basically to a Japanese pilot called Domo Kashu, who's piloting what's called the Shining Gundam. He's the representative of Imaginist Neo Japan. Uh, he's there to win the fight, but he's also on Earth for a different reason to find out what happened to his brother. Um, along the way, uh, he's he's actually accompanied <laughs> with um, um, a young scientist called Rain Mikamura, who's basically like his doctor, his coach, his manager, his mechanic. Uh, she's pretty much able to do everything. And as Domon's going through the show, we see him go through the preliminaries of the Gundam fight. And we see that there's uh, different types of fighters. And he, he starts to encounter fighters of different countries. And the Gundam fight is actually kind of interesting because there's, some, there's actually some rules to it. Um, you know, everything has, they pretty much fight in, in the martial arts style. Uh, but, you know, there's seven rules that they go through, and, you know, some of them include, like, if the head unit is, a uh, head section is destroyed, then that Gundam's disqualified. Um, you know, there's no shots, to, you, you, no kill shots to the cockpit, and, you know, whatever happens, and this is to the detriment of the people that live on Earth, um, everything's done on Earth, and any of the destruction of property caused by any Gundam fights is not considered a crime. So those are some of the things that they had. Um, Domo, as he 
as he's going through as he's going through the tournament, like I said, he fights other fighters. He starts to encounter other fighters who he kind of befriends. Um, the Neo American fighter, the Neo France fighter, the Neo Russian fighter, and the Neo China fighter, um, who um, basically end up being kind of his comrades towards the end of the show. Uh, he also, while he's on Earth, he before the final Gundam fight, he encounters his former master and sees that this man has changed in, in many different ways. So uh, once, once Domo, he qualifies for the final Gundam fight that's being held in Neo Hong Kong, of course he gets the, the typical mid-season upgrade going to the God Gundam, or what was called in the English version the Burning Gundam. Um, and as Domo starts to go through the final Gundam fight, we start to see, you know, of course, the grand champion, the defending champion, is his former master, uh, Master Asia. And as we see that, he, I guess, Domo's noticed that Master Asia has changed, and we see that there is kind of a big kind of conspiracy with Master Asia, and one of the... the um, the sponsor of the Gundam fight, uh, Yang, uh, Wang Yang-Fat, and also the leader of Neo-Japan. And so we get basically to the, Gundam, the, the final Gundam fight. Um, some things happen. The, um, the, the hidden agenda of uh, the Neo-Japanese leader comes to fruition. Uh, we have a large nine-episode battle, continuous battle, that is like one of the greatest things ever. And um, we have probably one of the best happy endings that you're going to have in a Gundam show. And yes, I did pretty much breeze over the plot points. And, um, you know, the reason being is because anyone that hasn't seen this show, I would encourage you to do this. Um, what, ma what makes, you know, back to, s to some of my comments here, what makes this show pretty interesting is that on paper, if you had looked at this in paper, and I, I put myself in the in the thing of people that were reading this back in '94 when this came out in Japan, the combination of the super robot martial arts formula with Gundam, um, you would laugh, you would laugh. But um, this is done in a very great way. It's actually directed by uh, Yasushiro Imagawa. Is that how is that how it's said, Chris? Yasushiro, yeah. Yasushiro, and Yasuhiro. Yasuhiro Imagawa. And uh, anybody that's seen Giant Robo or Ghetto Robo Armageddon would know his work. And oh, it's very much in those, um, those that type of um, that 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 type of vein there. But um, uh, I'm going to pass it off to Chris and Soulbro. But before we do that, we're going to have the first installment of Gundam Roundup Confessional, and we are going to start with Chris. Chris, do you have any confessions to make about Gundam about G Gundam before we get into some of things that your likes and dislikes of the show forgive me father for i have sinned please tell me your sins my father son. tomino <laughs> father i have i have sinned for for questioning the the awesomeness of g gundam you're can i be forgiven you're forgiven you you must do um you must do 15 knee bends and you must you must do five hail marys and a glory be but you you are forgiven soul bro do you have anything to uh, confess about G Gundam? Well, um, I was I, I confess I was a G Gundam hater straight up. For how so, long? Oh, for a long time. I give it I give it about I don't know. I watched the show in uh, 2006. So no, no, I take it back. I watched the show in 2005. 
So um, I hated it since it aired on Cartoon Network, and I saw a few episodes, namely the one with the Tequila Gundam. I guess yes. in America it's called the Mexican Gundam. I was sitting there watching no. it with a no, friend's show, and we were cracking on that show a hard Spike Gundam in, in, in America. It, it was called what, the Spike Gundam? Spike Gundam. Oh, yes. no. Well, um, I was watching that episode, and it's like, I'm done. I am done. It was like the one episode besides the, the pilot, which I had watched. And after seeing that, I'd written the show off. It's like, this show's for kids. The show's a joke. And he and kept telling you that the show is awesome. And then it, oh, wait, when I when I started to, when when um you and I became really good friends, you you were telling me how awesome the show was. Yes. And um I also went to MHQ and I read the reviews of the show and I was like, man, I was like, even 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 Chris here was hating on the show at first, and then it turned <laughs> he, even he turned it, it you know. He ended up liking the show in the end. It's like, wow, this is this is remarkable. I really need to sit down and watch the show. And especially after other people I know started watching it, I finally sat down and borrowed Neo's DVDs. And um, sure enough, that show was everything it was said to be, okay. plus you, everything you, I didn't expect it to be. And, and you, for such a simplistic – to me, it has a simpler story than the other Gundam shows, but it's more pure of heart than, the, than, than most of the other Gundam shows. And it, it just – it takes a lot of the complication out of other mech shows that you normally see. But then again, it is a super robot show and really the only Gundam show to be a super robot show. But for the most part, G Gundam is worth every cent and, uh, and worth the time to watch it. And anybody who hates on that show, really sit down and give that show a shot. It, it's, it's better than what you could ever expect it to be. All right, Chris. Now, since you've confessed your sins, you can go into some of, uh, some of the things you liked and didn't like about G Gundam. Well, you know, my first exposure to the show was eight years ago, long before it was released here in America. And back then, my exposure to Gundam had been pretty limited. So I had a very narrow view of what I thought Gundam was supposed to be. And when I first saw G Gundam, I thought, what in the hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) And it just really didn't do anything at all for me. But then I suck it out, and I watched it up until episode six, and that's when it all magically transformed. Yes. Really? Because episode six is when we're first introduced to the Devil Gundam mm-hmm. and, you know, the actual story of the series. And I thought, holy crap, I've been completely wrong about this the whole time. Yeah. And then from that point on, I loved the show. And for a lot of people, it's hard to accept that, you know, this uh, is totally different, that it's not Universal Century, that it's this wacky super robot fighting show. And, um, you know, what I enjoy the most about it is, even though in its aesthetic and, and its execution it's very different, it still has some of those same core Gundam themes. Yes. Where, you know, you've got, you know, traitor villains inside the <laughs> government, like Ulube. You know, you've got um, sort of a, a family conflict, you know, between Domon and, and his brother. You know, you've got people who are betrayed by people that they, you know, were close to in the case of Domon and Master Asia. And, uh, you know, in essence, it it is the very core of a Gundam series, just done in a very different way. But I think that's what is one of the things that makes it work so well. Um, What I didn't like is that, you know, as a super robot show, at some points, it's a little bit, you know, predictable, especially in the first half. Yeah. Like, when Domon is fighting some of these, you know, throwaway opponents each episode, and you know when they slowly introduce all of the members of the Shuffle Alliance, mm-hmm. and even later on, um, you know, in the the Hong Kong finals, the part where he's forced to fight 
most of the Shuffle Alliance, like, episode by episode again. So there are a few times where it's, predict- it's predictable, but, you know, for the most part, the show is, is very engaging and always finds a way to up the ante and be a very enjoyable story if you have an open mind and can say, you know, yes, this is Gundam 2, because there's plenty of people out there who say, oh, I refuse to acknowledge this as a Gundam series, blah, 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 and all those people... I would say, you know, you're you're idiots. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> but I do have some uh, some interesting tidbits to share about this series. Since many many years ago, I had the chance to meet Yasuhiro Imagawa. That's right. He showed up in Miami, uh, courtesy of the Japanese consulate, and gave a lecture about G Gundam. It was timed into the uh, release of the show on Cartoon Network. So uh, he said quite a few interesting things about the show. So I'm just going to jump into some of those. Cool. Uh, number one. He'd originally worked um, on Zeta Gundam in, in a minor role, but he wasn't new to the, to the Gundam franchise. And obviously, he had been working on Giant Robo before G Gundam came out. So you can see a lot of similarity between the two series, not just in terms of style, but also voice actors. Yeah. There's quite a few that cross over on, on both shows. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that um, he said that he was recommended by Tamino to do G Gundam. And when he came on board... Uh, as a Gundam fan, he had been hoping to do like, you know, a Universal Century War story. Wow! And Sunrise said, "No, you're not doing that. You're doing this show about the Gundam fight with all these fighting Gundams." And he said that he was quite surprised when when he was told that this is what he's going to be doing. And what I found really interesting is when he came on board the project, he said that the uh, the story was just about the Gundam fight. Oh wow! Wow! So he was the one who created the whole storyline about the Devil Gundam and DG Cells and all of this stuff, which, you know, anyone can see is the core of yeah. the story. And without it, it would have just been a dumb kids fighting show. Very much yeah. so. So we can definitely see how he put his mark on this series. It's also interesting, he said that um, initially in Japan, the reaction with fans was very, very negative. And uh, he basically joked that uh, he was afraid that he'd be walking down an alley some night and someone would shank him. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they probably demanded Seppanku from him. Who knows? But obviously that changed over time, and of course the toys were very popular. So um, I think a lot of people here, you know, Western fans, have, have changed their opinion too because the negativity that was existing at that time, I don't really see that much anymore. Of course, there still are some holdouts who, you know, still bitch and whine about the show but uh paul um yeah i mean when it comes to likes um i pretty much liked everything about this show mainly just from the whole thing when you go from the beginning when you have the guy with the narrator with the eye patch and he gives you the little Stop. yeah you give <laughs> he gives you kind of the you know the wrap-up of the previous episode or or you know story to that point and you know you start off with uh you know gundam fight final set ready and then they yeah and then they'd begin the show um he always looked like bright noah to me with the mustache and eye patch i don't ask me why he just did i'd have to i yeah that's interesting um (laughs) but um like i said earlier i mean if you looked at this on paper it doesn't sound like it worked but and and this worked in so many different ways um we have and, and I have to disagree with what Solpro said earlier that it's not it's a little bit more simplistic than some of the other Gundam stories. Really? Mainly because 
I think in this, I think it is as complex, and in a lot of ways, these characters um, they do a better job of really developing a lot of the other supporting characters. Yeah, you really, you really begin to identify and know things about uh, the Shuffle Alliance. Um, you know, Chibody and George Chibody. and Sai and um, Argo, and you know, you, you get to you get to see their struggles not only with Domo and why he was chosen to be the Gundam fighter because one of the things I neglected to say earlier you are not looked too kindly upon being the Gundam fighter yeah you're not looked too kindly to be in the the fighter in the Gundam fight by the people of earth or even by the country that's sending you and usually as you as when you guys that's, that's not exactly true i mean a lot of these these Gundam fighters are seen as like the superstars of their country yeah, but some of them weren't, though. So It I, depends on the country, like, you know, say Russia, but for the most part, in many countries, it's sort of like being uh, even bigger than an Olympic athlete. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess Jibbity was definitely the one that was probably on the pedestal the most yeah, of all of them. That is true. Because mm-hmm. for these countries, you know, it's not just the Olympics. It's this fighter is determining if you're going to rule the universe for the next four, four years. years. So, yeah. obviously... You know, they're held in high regard in most countries. I mean, uh, just you've got, like, Sai Saishi meeting with, you know, the, the, the ruler of China. You've got, you know, Domon being told how important he is. Chibidi, obviously, on a pedestal. Uh, this guy, uh, Mikolo, he was just running around Italy doing whatever the hell he wanted because he was a mafia guy. Yeah. So in most countries, they're usually held in high regard. In some, they're not. Yeah. But uh, also, I mean, when it comes to the... Um, you know, when it, when it came to the characters, they were all very interesting. The story moved along fairly well. I mean, there, there really wasn't any point in the show where it kind of dragged. The only time I guess it, it could be is when they were in, um, when they went back to Japan on earth and, uh, that was a little long. Um, you know, you did have kind of the monster of the week type of formula, like Chris said, but in a lot of ways, I didn't really. It didn't really bother me too too much about it. Um, it does have probably the best love story of Gundam at the end, where you know uh, Domo is not only developing as being the fighter and you know trying to redeem his family's sins because, as you'll see, there's some things you know there's a conspiracy behind that, and um, but you know he kind of grows as a person. And, you know, he grows as kind of the leader of the Shuffle Alliance. And, you know, you, um, you know, there really wasn't too many characters that you didn't like. I mean, even kind of the annoying ones like the guy Mikolo and Alube and stuff like that. They weren't, you know, they, they were there for what they, they were. They were what they were supposed to be, just, you know, the bad guy. But you didn't hate them. Um, you know, like I said, the last, like, nine to ten episodes of the show is just, like, one sugar rush to the end and i mean it's just like if you don't get excited watching that then you know there is something wrong with you um i think it is pretty uh, i know a lot of people i used to hear say people say that it was um it was uh kind of dishonoring the gundam name i don't think it was i think in a lot of ways it was actually honoring it because i do remember like in the final fight you know you have a lot of in the final fight there's a basically a world battle and you'll, if you, like, pause the tape, you'll actually see, like, the original RX-78, the Zeta, the Gundams from 0083, the F-91, the Victory, and even the Crossbone. And this was also the one where you got to see the wing the first time, too, wasn't it, Yeah, Chris? 
Yeah. It's a different color. Yeah, and yeah. a different color. Wasn't but it the wing zero or was it the wing? It was the wing. It was the wing. But, of course, they didn't play any big part. They just basically just got blown up. But um, I, I would say it's probably, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite alternate series ones. And it's probably one of my favorite Gundams of all of them. Um, I'd probably put it behind, you know, like a Zeta and a, an X in terms of just enjoyment. It's not the same show, but I think in a lot of ways it it... It, they took a chance, and for whatever reason, it worked. And, you know, I'm, I am kind of glad to see that this is the one time that they didn't go back to the well. And, you know, I, I and to be honest with you, I don't ever really want to see a, uh, you know, a, a, a G Gundam sequel. But, uh, Solbro, anything on uh, G Gundam? Well, um, going back to my, my opinion about it being simplistic is, to me... It was more pure of heart of, than any other show for the fact that it didn't have so many underlying storylines story running all at the same time. Like a lot of the previous Gundam series, you, it pretty much it laid out the fact that the Gundam tournament was going on. Certain characters had story arcs that came to fruition throughout the course of the show. But for the most part, it stayed focused throughout this whole run. Well, there were like little storylines story that trailed off or characters that, you know, vanished or you know things things everything made sense when watching the show like we had discussed in zeta earlier where you know some characters just vanish off the face of the map and come back no explanation why they even went um in this show you never got that feeling no. when the show was over with you felt satisfied it's like okay the show pretty much hit every nail it needed to when it was you know throughout the course of its run um the characters were very well developed you yeah. know they weren't they they didn't they didn't play them they, they just weren't they weren't super complicated they were just you know you knew what their ambitions were you knew what troubled them and you know eventually they got they every, everybody got past their demons and moved on and the love story i agree with you there it was very much pretty much to me my favorite love story out of all the gundam series plain and simple it was you know throughout the series you watched it develop you saw the relationship um between rain and and domon and you saw how they you know how, you know, it was a love-hate relationship, but, you know, throughout every trial, they became closer and closer and closer. And then when they're ripped apart from each other, you really feel Domon's despair about that. Because at that point in time, he realizes how much he does care for her, and then she's whisked away. And then he has to try to fight to get her back. And um, to me, and I, 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 so far out of all the Gundam series I've seen, this show to me has the, most, has the greatest fight out of all the Gundam shows. It's, it has the, um, the fight between... Um, Domon and uh, Master Asia in episode 45. Oh. I mean, granted, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of, um, you know, dramatics going on, drama, drum, you know, just drama going on during the fight. But how everything came up to that point, you know, and crescendoed to that fight. And, you know, the story arc with Master Asia, you know, came to fruition there. And, you know, this, their exchange during that fight with their words, not just their, 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 their punches and whatnot, but their, their words and their emotions. It was just so well done i i really enjoyed i really enjoyed I, I just just enjoyed how that episode started and how it just ran through and it um it, it reached its climax i mean the ending of that episode is unforgettable to me and um yeah that brings a good point is the uh the fight direction throughout the whole show oh yeah the direction um, in general how, i mean like, a lot of episodes are based off of movies n yeah. yeah and i mean not only just the fact of like when they're fighting some of the main villains but um you know even you know, even some of the secondary characters that Domo has to fight and some of the other members of the Shuffle Alliance have to fight, they're done very well. Um, yeah. You know, the animation's pretty spot on throughout. I didn't, never really saw a real lag uh, with the animation quality. 
the soundtrack's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, the music within it definitely matches kind of the, you know, kind of the martial arts flair with the, you know, super robot hero type of, um, you know, type of show. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, I, I, I can, like I've, like I've said, I can always see where people were not, were kind of put down with it. But I think in some ways, I think that show was probably ahead of its time. I think when it came out in 94, it was just, it was probably about, what, maybe six, seven years ahead of its time. And but I think it was, it's one of those things that people are kind of mm-hmm. going back now and, and uh, you know, saying, oh, wow, this is good. Because I have noticed by, you know, being online and everything like that for the last, like, four or five years, um, you know, it just it used to be despised. And, yeah. you know, very rarely now do you even, you know, when that topic's mentioned. I mean, uh, do you really hear anybody say anything ill about it? For being the first AU, it really went off the deep end, but ends up being like one of the big, one of the best departures in the Gundam series I've I've seen to this day. And um, for an alternate universe verse, I'm just I'm happy they went to the extreme that they did to differentiate it from you know the Gundam series that have you know passed and kind of set the benchmark of how different you can make a Gundam show aside from the UC formula that had already been established. And I, I I thank G Gundam for that and and the staff are working on it. But um, Chris, I, I I keep running off of the mouth. Any any anything else? Um, anything else you have on your mind about it? Well, I definitely uh, would say that in, in my opinion, I think the the story of G Gundam is just as complex as yeah the other series. And right. the things that that goes to that is the fact that you've got this Sentai team of Domon and the Shuffle Alliance, but they're all pretty well developed. You know, usually you have the main character, and you sort of have his sidekicks who are just sort of kind of there in the background and may eventually get a bone thrown out to them. (laughs) But the show manages to develop all five of these guys pretty well and have, you know, storylines running with all of them that they all have, you know, their individual concerns and their own ambitions for why they need to win the Gundam fight and how they sort of get over their nationalism and team up with Domon to fight something that's bigger than just their nation's ambitions Very true. or yeah. their personal needs. Yeah, that's true because, I mean, from the beginning, from the first episode, I mean, how can you forget, even though you kind of hear about the Gundam fight, what's the first thing he does when he's in the bar? And he goes, have you seen this man? Very so true. right there, you know that, okay, he's going to have a Gundam fight, and there is a fight at the end of that episode, but what's this deal with this picture? You know, so... I do kind of that. That's what I meant earlier when you're saying simplistic. I think I see what you it, mean. it's not. It it, it may not it's be un- the it's same a, po- geopolitical yeah. wartime theme, but that story is just as complex because you have the you have the thing of a family dishonored. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, this 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 whole political thing with gaining power. Um, you know, the thing with Master Asia, which I'm not even going to go into. Uh, his, his motivations. And how you know how those are working, um, you know, and then all all of all of these people coming together, who are of different, um, very varying degrees of backgrounds, um, you know, all those people were very much different. You had, you know, the rich guy, you know, the yeah. guy that came up was, you know, like a street urchin and became, you know, champion of the world, and you know, uh, Domon, who's from a kind of a disgraced family, and 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 all this stuff. So, it it. It's a, not a com- complicated or complex story like you would have like a Zeta Gundam in terms of like that, mm-hmm. but it is still very layered. And each one in each time as you go through it, 
more and more of these layers be exposed as other ones kind of you know are kind of resolved so I guess yeah. it would be unfair for me to call it simplistic then it's yeah it's a, it's a different it's a different flavor of of, of, of yeah. what you normally would see as a storyline going to show yeah yeah my son <laughs> um, also, I definitely agree that it is one of the, the, the best romances in Gundam that we've seen up to now because mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, the romances in Gundam are pretty just sort of tacked on and they're just sort of a contrivance rather than something that's really developed throughout the course of the series. We're looking at you, Nina and Co. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, especially in this one, you sort of have a bit of a love triangle going between Domon and Allenby and Rain because, yeah. you know, obviously Domon on one level, he connects very well with Alamy because they're so much alike and you've got Rain sort of jealous of him spending so much time with her but then on the other you know Domon's real feelings are for Rain and of course Allenby uh, coming from her background she also has yeah, feelings for, for Domon so that was kind of interesting to see that handled that way uh, also yeah definitely some spectacular fights like uh, Solbro said the fight between uh, Master Asia and Domon in the 45th episode where they're just going all out in their hyper modes and all of that. For me, though, one of the, uh, what I think is one of the best and most emotional moments ever in Gundam was the part in the previous episode when uh, Domon basically is, is faced with the reality that he has to kill his brother. Yeah. yeah. To stop Gundam. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that was one and of the big ones. Very, very well done moment. And, uh, Overall, the, the ending was just, it just managed to be quite epic with all of these Gundams fighting and, you know, sort of interesting that, you know, things were turned on their head because instead of Domon fighting just some final boss because, you know, Lube was taken care of in the previous episode, mm -hmm. he had to basically fight, you know, uh, to prove his feelings to Rain and basically get her to fight what she feels is her dishonor because of her father's involvement that yeah. caused everything Right. go wrong with Domon's family. Yeah. So, in a sense, the romance, it's sort of like the romance ends up becoming the final battle. Yeah, it did. And, and, that's, and it's funny that you say that when you were saying earlier about the, um, the love triangle. It was very Macross-like <laughs> in, in that way. And um, at the end, I would say the final battle was, not, was him expressing his love to Rain. Because, I Literally. Mean, even in those last few things, one of the best parts about it is is when he's trying to figure out what he wants to do and he has a vision of Allenby and she's just telling him, you know, look, I love you. I know you, I know you love Rain, but you're not going to, you, you'll never be there for me like you will for her. So, you know, go do what you need to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was not simplistic at all. Well, so, bro. I have been humbled. <laughs> I have been humbled. But um, but, um any 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 thoughts? final any final comments or I, anything? I just want to know who who you, who were you guys' um, favorite character in the show? Just out of curiosity. Jibbity our favorite Mecca. Jibbity. Oh, favorite characters would probably be Master Asia, Schwartz, and and Jibbity. Schwartz Bruder. Yeah. I'd I'd say it's but for me it's Schwartz Bruder. Favorite um, Mecca would probably be the God Gundam. Oh yeah. And I actually like the Maxter too. Um, even though it's got that kind of weird football helmet and boxing glove combo, but it was he he would always come in uh, surfboarding on his shield, so I thought that was always kind of cool. That was pretty right. Hey, it's, it's still American because Americans are always surfboarding while boxing and playing football and, and riding plus, horses. And plus, I gotta say, I General MacArthur lookalikes firing the Statue of Liberty cannon. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I gotta say too, Chibi man, he had 
a whole bunch of hot chicks as his uh, team. He was from Brooklyn, man. Yeah. I am the champion! <laughs> Straight out of Brooklyn. I will be back! <laughs> but uh, Chris, uh, characters of Mecha, favorite ones? Uh, definitely, I would say my one of my favorite Mecha is the God Gundam, a very, very nice design. Very unique. And uh, as far as characters, I really like Sai Saishi just because he's so rascally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I loved it when he was, uh, he was that he was he fell in love with the girl. That was a great yeah, up. Brother, mermaid Gundam pilot. Yeah, but Solbro, uh, Mech, uh, and and character. Now, um, Schwartz Bruder's Gundam was a Panzer, right? In a, in America, Spiegel. In, the Spiegel. Thank you, thank you. The Spiegel. I, I I liked his suit, and um, I liked um, call me call me Pansy, but I liked George, and I liked his suit, man. I like I like his little bits, his his rose bits. George was cool. Freaking George was awesome, man. George That's, George had Mary Louise, man. Oh, you know what? That's right. He was pimping the whole show. Yeah. Just like just like my man Chippity, who I also enjoyed. Yeah. But um. Wait 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 wait. <laughs> Can I call him your, your man, man Chippity? Yeah. What's, what's wrong? Oh, so Chippity Crockett is no way. All these wimps that you enjoy so much. Yeah, he's in he's in no way, shape, or form as a as a um. As uh, what, what the heck? What's this guy from uh, Revolves or uh, Revolves Saji or Crossroad. Crossroad? Those are your men. Or uh, or uh, what's his name from Seed? Oh, Cy Argyle. Cy Argyle, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So who who's the G Gundam equivalent of that? Really, was there one in G Gundam? That's my question. Um, I can't think of really anybody in G Gundam that was like that. Uh, maybe not Psy, because Psy was rascally. So. It wasn't a, none of the shuffle lines. Yeah, I'll uh, tell you I, that I, much. I can't say it really there wasn't anyone in that show. Um, <laughs> you are I guess I guess I, I, I guess for this show. I guess George is the most is is like the most. Uh, George was cool though. But man. George was George's cool. Awesome and kicked ass when he needed to. So yeah. you yeah. can't can't you can't stain his honor I guess by it, equating him with all of your other pansies. I guess yeah. there's nobody who I guess there's nobody in G Gunner that was milk toast. Give it up. <laughs> I to be honest with you, I don't I really can't think of any, so everybody was rugged and rough, man. Maybe maybe the pilot of the, the tequila gundam. Maybe him. <laughs> all those pilot all those pilots were pretty cool. Yeah, they, you know what they were too. I I I, I, I mean the loser nemesis was Michelo. That was the, the resident like loser me- nemesis guy. Yeah, and the only like uber dork as far as Gundam pilots go is uh, that the guy from Neo Cuba. Oh yeah, <laughs> which I just find doubly embarrassing being Cuban myself. Yeah, sorry, I remember Chris. that guy. Like, wait a second, this guy's name is Gastro. Yeah, he looks like kind of like Castro. The freaking Gundam has a little like military cap on it. But the last time I checked, you know, maybe I'm not so well educated on my background as I should be, but I don't recall spiders being like that big of a deal or that awesome in cuba maybe it's just me <laughs> i don't know but all right guys well i guess that uh, kind of brings us to the conclusion of um the mobile fighter g gundam segment of uh gundam roundup um this was uh, the end uh, segment nine and we'll be actually hitting segment 10 next episode which will be another alternate century universe uh, gundam which will be probably one of the most popular ones especially in the states and that would be mobile suit gundam Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, so or what was it? New Report Gundam Wing new in Japan. Mo- new, new Wing, yeah. New Mobile, new mobile Report. Report Gundam Wing. So, and we will actually be treating the. We'll be actually in segment ten. We will do the show, and then later on we will do Endless Waltz as a separate thing. So we're just going to be doing uh, the actual Gundam Wing show, uh, the series. 
in uh, episode 10. But uh, this is Neil, and along with Solbro and Chris, we'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. <laughs> Jules, you give that fucking Nimrod $1,500 and I'll shoot him on general principle. No, Yolanda, Yolanda, he ain't gonna do a goddamn motherfucking thing. Bitch, shut the Striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well then, Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CBS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at 20% less than retail, daily. 20%. That's right, Frank. 20%. Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You even find them open most holidays. So if you're local, stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business. Tell them Gundam at MAHQ sent you. They blew up my car! They blew up my car! They blew up my car! Gundam shame. They blew up my Gundam car and all you got to say is the Gundam shame? No car, no money, you're having a bad day. That's it! I'm through with you, man! I'm calling some of my homies, I'm getting alone, and I'm stepping the f*** off! Welcome back for more Gundam at MAHQ. Moving on to our second segment of the Geass Reviews, we're going to be reviewing episodes 17 through 20 of Code Geass, Lelouch the Rebellion R2. And the next episode that we're going to review is episode 17, The Taste of Earth, because it's so delicious. <laughs> anyway, things that happen in this episode, Guilford comes alone to a warehouse to meet Jeremiah because he's claimed to have information on Cornelia's whereabouts at the um, settlement coastline. The Black Knights begin their invasion of Area 11. Kaguya believes if Area 11 is liberated, it will inspire other areas to revolt. Lelouch arrives at the Kururugi Temple and recalls how he met Suzaku there eight years earlier. During the course of the battle, serial killer Luciano's Percival is running through the opposition like toilet paper. Sneisel reassures the crowd that Kyushu is being protected by the Knight of One, Bismarck, and it tells Nunnally that the war will soon be over. On the front line, Bismarck launches in his gaddle ahead and thinks to himself that this battle seems simple for zero. Back at the temple, Suzaku says he's surprised Lelouch came and says he has the nerve to show his face. No matter what his old buddy has to say, Suzu finds his words impossible to believe after all the lies and betrayal Lelouch already has exhibited. Further twisting the knife, he adds that he's been lying to Nunnally as well. 
the one person he swore to never deceive. As the Ikaruga travels underwater, Asahina and Chiba express doubt in Zero, citing all the suspicious people around him like Rolo and Jeremiah, and past events that also seem suspect. Toto retorts, saying that they need Zero in order to achieve their goal of liberating Japan. In another room, Ogi's love for Valletta is tested, and one D-Heart reveals that they know about their past history, and they are now holding the woman hostage. Suzaku finally confronts Lelouch about Euphemia's death, and if he geased her or not. Not wanting to lie to him anymore, Lelouch answers all of his questions truthfully, and without excuse. Suzaku promptly delivers responsibility of the deaths of Shirley and Euphemia unforgivingly to his former friend. Lelouch admits responsibility, but counters that Nunnally is still innocent. While in prison, Callan ponders who the real Lelouch is, just as Gina Weinberg comes to visit her. All the while on his knees, begging the Knight of Seven to protect Nunnally, Kururugi pins Lelouch's head to the ground with his crushing foot. Lelouch retorts that he can't do anything to fix what has come between them, including the lives that he ruined with his lies. Lelouch says he has uh, nothing else he can do, and Suzaku asks if he expects forgiveness for what he's done. He tells Lelouch he can apologize by saving the world with his evil intentions. Lelouch says that he can't create miracles and that Zero is only a tool to create lies. Asking why he cast Gius upon him, Suzaku says that the live on Gius is a curse that runs in contrary to his beliefs. Lelouch explains that he did it to survive. Suzaku continues to grill Lelouch about his past actions and is reminded how he murdered his own father and joined the army. Despite Lelouch's answers, he still believes Lelouch is lying, but the only way to atone for his mountain of lies is to turn it into the truth. Lelouch asks how he can do that, and Suzaku tells him to end the war and make a peaceful world that everyone can live in. Suzaku offers his hand and says that for Nunnally's sake, he'll join Lelouch again. Just as Lelouch is about to reach out and take Suzaku's hand, the Glassy Knights arrive and swarm the area. And Lelouch accuses Suzaku for planning this from the start, while Kenan congratulates Suzaku for a job well done. Lelouch believes that Suzaku intended to sell him out again and calls him a traitor. In the meantime, Guilford throws Lelouch into a truck, and on a video monitor, Schnozzle says he's surprised that the murderer Zero was his little brother. However, he promises to intercede on Lelouch's behalf with Charles and maybe spare his life. Lelouch tucks on his collar, which triggers the geas on Guilford that Lelouch placed earlier in the episode in a scene we didn't see. Instead of Jeremiah meeting him in the warehouse, it was actually Lelouch who um, took a preemptive strike and geased him just in case it was going to be a betrayal. Feeling that he must save his princess, Guilford uses his Vincent Lance to slice the roof off the truck and rescue Lelouch, who he sees as Cornelia. Lelouch says goodbye to his first and last friend. Back at home base, Nazel asks Suzaku who he really is and if he intends to prolong this chain of tragedy. At the uh, Tokyo settlement, Lelouch activates his Gifun disturbers mounted on the trains, which makes the entire settlement go dark, and on top of that, the Ikaruka surfaces from the water and heads for the settlement. Elsewhere, Rola prepares to infiltrate the government building and rescue Nunnally, and Suzaku wonders if he has to pilot the Lancelot and use the flare bomb on Lelouch. After all of that, um, what were you guys' thoughts on this episode? Well, you, you, <clears throat> you finally get the what you've been waiting for the whole time, actual face-to-face, -face, um, uh, you know, the actual face-to-face -face argument and kind of, you know, airing of the clearing of the air between, um, you know, Suzaku and Lelouch. Um, and, they, and they bring up a lot of old stuff from, like, season one, too, that I, I had to skip over. But, yeah, I yeah, mean, well, it, yeah. it gets I mean, deep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like anything when, you know, friendships are betrayed and, and then you have to, um, you know, you, you try one last time to kind of, um, you know, get them better. But, um, you know, once again, uh, we saw that Lelouch, the previous episode, was kind of, um, you know, shown up by Charles and, you know, not able to do anything. Here we have, you know, Lelouch, we think he's captured. Uh, but, you know, once again, he's one step ahead of Britannia doing the whole, um, you know, I am Cornelia Gius on, 
um, Guilford. And, you know, so we can definitely see that the, um, we can definitely see that everything's going to kind of get, get going here. And, you know, um, Schneisel, I don't think it was that big of a surprise to him that Lelouch was yeah. zero. That's I think what I was he kind of, I think he always knew from when they played, uh, chess back in, you know, back a few episodes ago, but, uh, once again, you know, setting it all up, uh, a lot of things hitting, hitting full steam and definitely sees that, um, you know, we're kind of getting a build up here and I'm wondering what's going to kind of happen next. But uh, Chris, uh, some of your thoughts. A uh, couple of things. Obviously, there's a lot going on in this episode. Um, like I mentioned last time, we see how desperate Lelouch is and now he's literally on his knees trying to, you know, beg Suzaku to... Uh, save Nunnally and of course Suzaku you know he uses it as a chance to like air his grievances and of course you know it just happens to be ruined you know right when it's going to work by by Canon and Schneisel so it was good that uh, Lelouch had planned for this eventuality and uh, one thing that kind of annoyed me in this couple of strings of episodes was that we had a while back literally a cliffhanger with Ogie and Valletta yeah. which is completely glossed over and suddenly now Dietheart is blackmailing Ogie. Yeah. So there's like some missing stuff going on there. I mean, obviously, D-Hart is blackmailing him, but how did you get from the two of them falling off of this cliff into a river to suddenly now D-Hart is blackmailing him? So that kind of annoyed me there. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that was just sort of totally glossed over. But otherwise, uh, another great episode, and obviously uh, leaning leading up to a lot of big stuff that's going to happen now that we have the the Black Knights attacking uh, Japan to reclaim it. Maybe they'll maybe they'll cover the whole um, Valletta Ogi thing in one of the um, one of the shorts involved on one of the DVDs because it is a it is a plot hole. I mean, what the heck happened? I mean, Ogi even got stabbed in the previous episode, and you know now he's looking he's looking like he never took damage off, and he fell off a cliff. It's like, yes. oh my god, yeah. how did they survive? In a literal cliffhanger. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. <laughs> literal. Figuratively and literally on this one. Yeah, exactly. So, but um, I guess any other thoughts, guys? No, awesome episode. I guess um, that's going to bring us to uh, episode 18, the second decisive battle of Tokyo, or the day that Canadian pedo bear died, <laughs> or actually cried. <laughs> um, and... Uh, it starts off that um, Lelouch is uh, ordering his forces to capture the Tokyo settlement before Schneisel's reinforcements arrive. We see Nina wanting to, you know, seeing what's happening out there, wants to pilot the Lancelot, but Lloyd reminds her that she's a scientist, not a pilot. And then out of all, you know, Suzaku just comes walking up and then says if she has the courage to use the Flea or not. So Lelouch is directing Toto to have Asahina and Chiba get some area superiority over the government building. Rolo's ground team is disguised as some Britannian soldiers. They're moving in and and, you know, of course, Suzaka then launches in the Lancelot. You know, he's, he's vowing to make Lelouch atone for his sins. And then he tells Lelouch that he needs to stop what he's doing because he has a highly destructive warhead. Of course, Lelouch doesn't believe him. And then Jeremiah in his Sutherland SIG starts to have a little battle with Suzaku. Guilford, in the meantime, is still fighting his own forces because he believes he's fighting for Princess Cornelia. And then he's ordered by Lelouch to join up with Jeremiah and kill Suzaku. Nina, in the meantime, is actually pleading with him just to fire the flag. Then Lelouch fires some of his cannons at Suzaku, he dodges them, and then he's caught by Jeremiah. Inside the government building, we see that Rolo's team is climbing up the stairs, and Lelouch is thinking that once Nunnally's safe, he won't need Rolo, and he can go ahead and just get rid of him. 
we see that Miss Romeyer is actually telling not only that they need to leave, but you know she doesn't want to leave. Not only that is, and uh, that you know Romeyer saying we have to. This is orders from Stiesel. Sheba is almost killed by one of the Glaston knights, and you know Asahina saves her at the last second. You know Guilford is just destroying Vincent's left and right, and then you know Lelouch is fighting Gino, and Suzaku is fighting Jeremiah at the same time. So we got kind of one of those uh, multiple aerial dogfighting battles there. Nunnally is loaded on a shuttle, and Romire says that she wants to have Callan executed. Then the executor of Callan is then killed by Sayako, who frees Callan and then takes her to her modified Gurin. And then we see Anya joins the fight. She has a Gius reaction when she touches Lelouch, and she falls away. Then we find out that Charles' flagship's on the way, and Schneisel's kind of surprised because he never thought Charles would come to Area 11 because he doesn't care about reality or the present day. We see that Callan is in the modified Gurren. She's fighting Luciano, and he's telling her that killing people is everyday crime, but killing them on the battlefield makes them a hero. Then she grabs hold of him and uses that radiation hand of hers to pretty much blow him up. Heck yes. <laughs> so that guy had pretty short screen time there. Toto's actually preparing to attack Schneisel's fleet. Asahina then calls in with Kinoshito's testimony and says that Zero can't be trusted and they're going to go get Rolo in the government building. And meantime on the Ikaruga, Cornelia's got some I don't know why anybody doesn't, why does nobody ever check people in anime to see if they have anything <laughs> on them? But uh, she uses these little micro explosives to get out of her detention cell and, and then Ogie's wondering if it's Valletta who's trying to escape. Then we she, s- she distracted everyone with her boobs. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well. That's a great I mean, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We see that Nunnally's shuttle is preparing to escape. Then we see that uh, Callan, while fighting Suzaku, is going in for a kill and blow. And then Suzaku's live-on Gias kicks in, and he dodges Callan's attack. And then he fires a Flea, which sets off a pretty big explosion. And we see the shockwave expands, consumes the government building, and pretty much everything around it. Then we see Guilford still thinking that Lelouch is Princess Cornelia. He's pushing Lelouch away so he doesn't get caught up in he seems to die or does he then we see later that Lelouch calls up Rolo and Rolo asks him you know he wants to speak with Nunnally Rolo says that she's dead Lelouch calls him a liar and uh, then we see kind of the extent of the damage from the Flea kind of fiend on this so thoughts on this episode guys man they they, they raised the whole settlement if the settlement didn't take enough damage before <laughs> it, this this is kind of permanent <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean that cliffhanger was excellent. I mean you could see it coming a mile away, but um, to see how he reacted when he found out that um, Nunnally died, and we, of course we see more of it in the next episode. But you know, it's it, it, it was something we've been waiting for and even speculating in the show. And I, uh, uh, I, it's still an action-packed episode that I, I love to death. It's one of my favorites in the series. But um, yeah, outstanding, outstanding this whole episode. Especially um, my girl's escape. That's right, Cornelia. <laughs> that chick is so gangster. But um, Chris, what what were your thoughts? Very uh, fast-paced episode. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, good old vampire gets his due and and yeah. gets killed like a like the punk that he is. Yeah, I was sad for his ladies. <laughs> oh, the Valkyrie team. Oh man. Yeah, sucks for them. Those little little kind of. Slutily dressed girls who got like a second of screen time. Yeah. One of whom actually turns out to be the sister of uh, one of the guys from season one. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And um, otherwise, you know, just very high tension episode and obviously big, big finale with, uh, you know, 
Lelouch is uh, live command causing Suzaku to set off that Flea and uh, pretty much destroy most of the Tokyo settlement. So you're going to go out, you go out with a bang, and that's certainly the way to do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely one of those, um, you know, it was kind of the culmination of what we've been building up with for the last couple of episodes here. Um, even though there was a lot of things in these, you know, probably the previous, like, two, three, four episodes, um, this is where pretty much all that stuff kind of, you know, hits the crescendo at the end here. And, you know, um, some, some pretty good air battles, um, some definitely, you know, a lot of good fighting there. We, you know, we see that the Black Knights are, are, are definitely not trusting, um, you know, uh, Lelouch now after, you know, uh, Kenneth Shito's uh, testimony, his little thing that he told about him. So, um, you know, kind of one of those things you kind of saw. I mean, when you, when you saw, when when you finally, at the end of the episode, you're like, huh, I kind of figured Nunnally, you know, it's because it kind of, it kind of built towards it from the beginning. And, you know, once, once you, uh, you have these big massive super weapons, they always get, <laughs> indiscriminately used yep. and um but i i do have to say the one thing i do like about it is that when they killed uh nunnally i like that she was caught up in some she was collateral with a whole bunch of other people yeah it was a good way of doing getting away from the old anime staple of like sh she's the only person that gets killed and like her body gets delivered to lelouch and she's like lelouch you know and all this other stuff but the biggest irony is that it's the live gears casted on Suzaku, which brought about exactly. her death. I mean, exactly. I, that's like the sweetest thing in that episode to me. It's like, wow, or look what you brought. Supposed death. Supposed death. Since yeah. we all know that she is alive. Yeah, very, very much so. It's no, it's no, it's, it's no, no news yeah. <laughs> that she yeah. made it. But, but uh, yeah, but um, yeah, too much to Canadian pedo bears joy that <laughs> you know she lived. So, because this, 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 the Nunnally's death there for a week kind of replaced uh, Suzaku. Did it. Uh, on Mecha Talk, but um, that's pretty much my thing. Uh, anything else, guys? Or mm -mm. no? I guess that would bring us to episode 19, there, Chris. And that is betrayal. And we've got Charles, as previously mentioned, heading on his way to Japan in his flagship, which introduces us to yet another new character, the Knight of Twelve, Monica Krasuski. Yep. And you know, you got the Tokyo settlement in sheer chaos. What's left of it? And there's radio reports of casualties. In excess of 10 million. Jeez. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty, pretty high. Lelouch, basically, he's losing it, and he's telling everybody to find Nunnally, but they're ignoring him, you know, Toto and all these other people. Cornelia's about to escape, but a Britannian envoy craft lands on the Ikaruga, and big surprise at Schneisel. We got Lelouch, basically, goes in his room, and he goes nuts when he sees Rolo with the cell phone heart strap that he wanted to give to Nunnally, and he basically tells Rolo, you're a piece of crap, I hate you, I tried a bunch of times to kill you, and you just won't die, and you're just a cheap imposter for my sister, and I never want to see you again. Damn right. So while Lelouch is stewing in his room, not doing anything, Deet Hart and Toto and all of these people are meeting with Schneisel and Cornelia and Cannon. Throughout the course of the conversation, make the comment of, oh, uh, that Schneisel talks like he knows Zero personally. And then Schneisel says, yeah, I kind of do because he's my little brother, Lelouch. <laughs> so at first they don't really believe him, but then he's like, well, yeah, you know, he's my brother and uh, he used this power called Gius. And they don't believe that either, but then Ogi walks in, sells him out completely and says, yeah, it's all true. Ogi basically says that Lelouch has been using them all as pawns. Deedhart is saying, well, yeah, but he's gotten us all these miracles and everything. 
Schneisel plays an out-of-context tape of Lelouch admitting to using Euphemia and the massacre to control the Japanese, which obviously he said to Suzaku, but that's not what he really meant because he right. was covering up that he guillotined Euphemia by accident. And Suzaku knew it, but obviously you don't know that hearing this clip out of context. So now the Black Knights are totally against him. Colin takes Lelouch down to the hangar, and as they're sort of talking, she realizes that you know, Lelouch has kind of lost everything now, including Nunnally. And as soon as they get to the hangar, all of the Black Knights are there holding guns and they're ready to kill Lelouch. But just then, as they're about to, Rolo sweeps in with the Shinkiro and rescues Lelouch. And Lelouch basically is saying, you know, why are you trying to save me and yada yada. And Rolo is spamming his geas to freeze everybody's minds everywhere on a massive scale. They manage to get away, but they land somewhere and Rolo basically is dying because, as was previously revealed, every time he uses his geas, his heart stops. Yeah. Yeah. So using it so much, he's basically just worn out his heart. And he sort of has this emotional scene where he tells Lelouch that, you know, before he was everyone's pawns his whole life, but now he finally got to do something as a human. And then he dies. So Lelouch buries him and then he realizes that he still has one thing to live for. That is to take down Charles. And that's the end of that episode. So uh, comments, gentlemen? Well, I guess... Um you know, it's it's kind of a roller coaster. You know, we see, um, you know, Lelouch just getting ripped apart again with, you know, thinking that his sister's been killed in this whole situation. And uh, it is kind of nice for once to really see, you know, the one thing I've always liked about Lelouch in, in this whole show is that um, whenever he's gotten kind of, um, you know, maybe I guess you would say kind of whiny or, or, you know, a little emotional, it was for a reason. Like, he never got... He wasn't just pissy just to be pissy. He, um, you know, of course you're going to, your, 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 your sister was killed right in front of you and there's nothing you could do about it, especially, you know, for somebody like him that's got all, all the power in the world. Um, it was uh, actually interesting to finally see the true colors of the Black Knights uh, come out. I mean, I guess, you know, that's what you kind of get after a while dealing with, um, you know, kind of thugs and, you know, rebels like it is anyways. And, you know, it was kind of interesting that, you know, people like Deed Hard and all that were kind of defending him in the fact that, you know, they, Black Knights quickly forgot that they would not even be where they're at without Lelouch. And, um, you know, but once again, a, a definite roller coaster ride. And, you know, finally seeing that in some ways for all the horrible things that Rolo did, he did kind of redeem himself in the end. And, yeah. you know, he just, he knew that, no matter what, he was always going to just be a, a tool to people. And, um, you know, with this little last act of kindness that he did, that he was actually for once able to, you know, live like a regular human would. So, but, um, you know, definitely a, a, a great follow-up from, um, uh, from, uh, from the previous episode and, you know, masterful way of seeing how Schneisel is pretty manipulative himself, even without a Gius. But, Silver? Well, I mean... I can't fault the dark. I can't fault the Black Knights for being the for being you know having the disposition that they had. I mean, granted, Lelouch did make miracles happen. At least you know before the the curtain is you know drawn well, back. I'll put, it, I'll put it to you in this aspect. Yeah. Ask any military commander. Yeah. The things that they don't tell their guys. Okay. That they don't need to know. Okay, but see, the problem is they found out. 
Right. And Luce long ago sacrificed his humanity yeah, but to get what he wanted to, to, to in order to pull off what he wanted. Now it is seen that the Black Knights look like ingrates, and then to some degree they did. They but are. you got to think about it. These guys lost comrades to friendly fire that was intentionally done by Lelouch. This, these weren't accidents. And when they found out it wasn't like Toto lost, you know, or like so his, so they think. Yeah, they don't know what's true, going on, but. I mean, it's alleged, but it's not. They, does, he does, they're just going by flimsy pieces of evidence, and That's they're true. and they're and, and, and they're, they're just, believing the they're, they're believing a representative pretty, of the of the, of, of the people that they're trying to rebel against. But they, I mean, they're taking his word more you, than Lelouch. You saw in previous episodes they were trying to connect the dots themselves, and then they finally had someone to connect the dots for them. Yes, they are played like pawns, the pawns that they are, because <laughs> apparently they came off as such in this. I mean, one of the one of the most pawnish of characters, Tamaki, was actually standing up for Lelouch. Which is like one of the most one of the funniest things about that scene, you know, saying that he's his boy and everything like that. You know, he finally gets his wrecked, his dreams wrecked. But and to some degree, we know we as a viewer know it's the truth. So I can't help but separate myself from the truth and putting myself into their shoes. And with that said, I just can't fault him too much about turning on Lelouch. I wouldn't have tried to kill him. I'd have just tried to, you know. Yeah, but you have to because yeah, even, true. Even as from their perspective. They they believe a couple of flimsy pieces of evidence, evidence. from Schneisel without yeah. getting Lelouch's side of the story. That's all, true. All all the all the things well, that what, he did for them. Wasn't evidence all, damning though? I mean, not not to the extent of. How do you know that? How did they? How would? How did they know that that evidence wasn't fake? And again, they didn't get Lelouch's side of the story. They just instantly turned yeah. on him, judged well, him guilty, and were ready to kill him. Well, what yeah. about the recording though? And granted, I mean, again, how again, did they know how did they know it was true? Because yeah, it was it was all taken out of context. It, I guess and even though it was it. true, it was taken out of context. So there really is nothing defensible about what they did. And the That's other thing true. is, they knew from season one that he was Britannian. They knew that he was not Japanese. They may not have known that he was a Britannian, but they knew that he was not Japanese. Well, so he, yeah. right there, they had no problem with it. Well, damn it, the defense. They rest. had, yeah, they had. I mean, <laughs> they they were they were. I mean, if you really look at it, they were ingrates. I mean, like Chris said, they believe the the son of the emperor of the country that they're fighting, giving them a little what five second snippet of audio, yeah. saying you know something that could be easily misconstrued that, and then turning on him completely, the guy that organized them, got him this, got him that, they won battles. Okay, maybe they lost some friends, but they don't know they don't know what don't people know that he betrayed it. and what he didn't. So but yeah. I mean it grant were they in a position to deliberate it with the with the fact that he had a Gius that could take over your mind? I mean, they started to wonder if if it, you know once, ag- if, if once they again, were, they already tampered. Once yeah, again, you need both sides of the story. And That's they were true. once again they were ingrates. I mean they they, they completely they just completely flip sides for just because of what one guy said, yeah. who's the son of, you know, the emperor that, of the country that they're rebelling against. So. Well then. And Ogi forgot rule number one. Yeah, bros before hoes. Exactly. Oh! Exactly. Because oh. that's, that's why he did it. Damn. Yep. Damn. I, I, then, then, then I have been, I've been, I've been um, yeah. thoroughly shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, if we, get, no we, more comments on that, yeah, we know you're a good guy, Soul Bro, but on this one, you're wrong. I'm dead wrong. Yes. <laughs> but. So, moving on, that takes us to turn 20, Yay. which is Emperor Disqualification. Another <laughs> fantastic episode title. 
we start off with Suzaku. He's sort of there in the, the crater of Fleia, and he runs into Nina, and she just sort of has this really dumb, the dumb Metal Gear fires nukes moment. Yes. <laughs> you mean Fleia's bad? I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't realize that it would be that bad. Lelouch, you know, now that he's on his own since all of his pawns betrayed him, he realizes that Charles, his destination is not Tokyo, and he puts everything together and decides that it's Kaminajima, which is where a bunch of stuff went down in the first season. We've got the Black Knights and Britannian forces doing this joint operation to search for Lelouch, and Anya, she has a, uh, another Gius reaction, and she lands on the Ikaruga and sees dumb C2 standing there. <laughs> And starts talking to her and basically touches her mind and C2 doesn't recognize her until inside C2's mind, Anya changes her visual appearance to that of Marianne and says, what are you doing in here and why did you voluntarily seal up your own code? So that's an important point there we'll get back to soon. We got Lelouch, he's traveling underwater with the uh, Shinkiro submarine mode. He's heading to Kaminajima, and Charles, he's getting everything ready, and all of the Gius ruins around the world that we've been shown previously, they start to uh, glow, and they're starting to synchronize, including one down in one of the poles with a bunch of penguins standing around it. Oh, man. So even the penguins know the power of Gius. Monica, she's calling Charles with a message from Schneisel, but Charles is like, whatever, leave all the mundane things to him, which perfectly echoes what Schneisel had said earlier and Lelouch he gets to Kaminajima and he starts using Gius on a whole bunch of Britannian soldiers. Nice confrontation on the Albion with Suzaku and Schneisel where Suzaku basically says hey you know can you make me the knight of one and Lloyd basically says well that's treason because only the emperor can make someone the knight of one and Schneisel just kind of plays along and says well I guess that's what we'll have to do then if I become the emperor. So now you've got Suzaku he's sort of out for blood because after the whole detonation of Fleia, he's realized that everything he's been doing has been wrong up to now, and that it's the results that matter, not the methods. Yeah. Suzaku, he goes down to the island, and he's cutting down all of these Gius Order survivors who are hanging out with Charles. He encounters Bismarck, who busts out a big giant sword and says, uh, well, you're not the only one who knows about Gius, and we see his stitched up eye start to glow. <laughs> Man. Suzaku's fighting him, and he's struggling because the Gius command on him to live is trying to force him to run away, and he eventually does. Later, Bismarck, he takes to the skies in the Galahad because Lelouch Gius'd all of these Britannian soldiers to basically start a rebellion. At the same time, Anya slash Marianne arrives in the Mordred, and she's got C2 with her. So to cover her reason for getting there, she attacks Bismarck and accuses him of being part of the rebellion, but he says he's not. So she did that so that he wouldn't suspect her. Then you've got Charles using these old Gius ruins on Kaminajima as sort of a back doorway to re-enter the Sword of Akasha. He's about ready to start destroying the gods, but then Lelouch shows up and says that's not going to happen, and he detonates the entrance to the Sword of Akasha, basically locking them in that world, and after having done that, he says that the two of them will suffer together in eternal repentance. So what do you guys think of uh, what's going on here? Well, uh, if there were more questions before, there's more questions now, but, um, you know, definitely uh, it was interesting to see the whole interaction between C2 and Anya, and uh, we see later on in further episodes what this all means with their kind of brief little alliance they have there. Um, I guess, you know, with the, I guess we find out how Bismarck became the Knight of One. I guess it's pretty easy to become the Knight of One when you're able to know where everybody's, uh, you know, coming from. So, but, um, you know, 
definitely a good episode. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's nice to see that uh, you know Lelouch still has the fight in him. Uh, he's still you know, and he and he's still thinking strategically of you know what's going on, and we we see that um, you know this whole chaos. Uh, with Charles and the Black Knights and everything is just kind of ripping everybody apart with uh, uh, these rebellions and everything going on. But, um, you know, a, a good follow-up from the previous episode. And once again, it, we can see that we're starting with one of those uh, builders. And, uh, you know, we're kind of building. This is episode 20. We got we got five left, and we can definitely see this is building to the final battle here. So, but, uh, Solbro? A solid episode. I mean, we finally get the revelation that Anya is... Um Anya has um, inside of her. She he has she has Marianne, and um, we finally get to see the return of C, which I thought was you know long overdue. Yeah, <laughs> CC I should say, um, and then um, the 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 just the the plot to um, for Lelouch to corner his father, and finally have it out with him. You know, we finally get left on that awesome cliffhanger. Yeah, but um, on top of that, Suzaku's development. He finally he finally crosses over. He finally crosses over. Although you know. You know, he, he realizes that he's wrong and he's reached that point in his development where, you know, he's been on the wrong path the whole time. I'm just sorry it took the whole show for him to get to this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but other than that, I Still mean. Still got five episodes left. He finally sobers up and gets down to business, and I, 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 that, that, was, that was an excellent turn of events. But, um, Chris, what were your thoughts? Uh, another, you know, sort of like high-tension, action-packed episode, we find out, you know, the whole mystery of Anya's lost memories is that uh, – Pretty much, Marianne pulled a, a Spock on her, yeah. and it's kind of hiding out inside her brain. <laughs> oh boy! So that that sort of uh, settles that question. Uh, we got you know Suzaku finally stepping forward and and abandoning his stupid uh, "you can't use the incorrect methods" argument. Oh God! Thank God. Uh, we got Schneisel stepping forward, and based on what Cannon thinks to himself when this happens, it seems that uh, Schneisel had been planning to do this for a while, but I guess now took this opportunity. And that, of course, leads to uh, Gino being locked up. Um, overall, very solid episode, and uh, you know we're definitely in the the final confrontation now with uh, Lulush and uh, and Charles. Now that he's basically locked himself and Charles inside the Sword of Akasha. Yeah, so, I mean, it's um, kind of that definite cliffhanger. And, you know, like I said, can't wait to see what happens with the final five episodes of Code R 2. Since this show loves uh, cliffhangers oh so much. Yes. Right. Any other uh, comments, guys? No, I'm yeah. solid. Solid Snake? That's right. Solid Snake. In that case, we'll wrap up this segment, and in the future, we're going to be uh, finishing up Code Geass, as thank God we only have five episodes left to review. <laughs> ah, thank you. Finally uh, be done with the show. Not that we don't like the show, but, you know, having to spend so much time reviewing this and Macross Frontier, we understand we want to move on to new topics and expect that you listeners want to uh, hear more varied discussions soon, which you will definitely get. So Yeah, one thing, guys, it, it, was, a, it was because of um, a lot of it was because of the summer being a very busy convention summer for kind of everybody. So Never again. Uh, yeah. one, we review one show per session. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Enjoy these episodes. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be doing this for a while, but uh, with that, we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. All right! 
Jesus. So, I have been having a very bad day. Just got out of jail this morning. Already I have been shot at. I was on the bus that flipped over 17 times. A bitch tried to stab me in the bathroom. But somebody blew up my Porsche. I am in a bad goddamn mood. Now, I usually don't jump in when somebody's getting beat down. But this man, Jack Cates, is going to help me straighten out the rest of my day. Now, I suggest you all back up and let us go about our business. Because you got a gun? No, because I have a gun and I pop a cap in your ass. Next on level nine. This is this is funny. Maybe we should pull up the the quote. Um, uh, you might want to pull up the quote, but it's yeah. like, Metal Gear Solid Four is a great game except for the story. What? <laughs> WTF? Yeah, for real. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold it's on. like, what the f- Hey! That's, yeah. That, granted, even I will admit that when you play that game, that, that you'll you'll be... I mean, there's a whole lot of story. I mean... You'll play for 10 minutes and then get some popcorn, get, take a shoosh, take a piss, because the story's going to go on for the next 45 minutes. But that's okay, because you, you, we've been... We've kind of been conditioned. But that's that. not the point. That is not the point. Folks. It's a hell of a story. Yes, there's a lot of story to it. The, yes, there's some long-ass cutscenes. But who the hell are you <laughs> to call out Kojima on that There was a lot of Hadouken. shit to sew up in that last game. So, you know, I mean, what the but hell? But you know, I still give Ben John some props because he went up to the, the big wigs in Capcom and said, look, I want to make this game. I think there's a lot of people that want this game. And by the command of Rearm, really became a phenomenal success on the Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Network. Very well so done. Forth. Very well thought out. Um, I mean, but the thing is, here this. it is. Here's the, here's the quote. I liked Metal Gear Solid Four, with the exception of the story. I like Kojima's stories, but they keep getting longer and longer. He needs to put the clamps on himself and only give himself thirty minutes. If he did that, I'm sure they'd be fantastic. You're sure they'd be fantastic? Fantastic. I'm sorry, dude. As Ooh. much as I think as you're cool, you do know now that your 3D version of Binary Commando must be a phenomenal, greatest game ever made to make a comment like that. That game better <laughs> do my taxes when it comes out. That is a game. Okay. Next. I said next. God damn it. This is not the DMV, all right? Move it along. All right, everybody, uh, this uh, concludes episode 22 of Gundam and MHQ. Uh, once again, we did some review caught up, catch up with um, doing episodes 13 through 20 of uh, Kogius R2 to catch us up. And uh, we'll be finishing out the remaining five episodes in a future episode. Uh, we've also uh, continued with segment nine of the ongoing series of Gundam Roundup, this time doing Mobile Fighter G Gundam. And uh, we'll be continuing next episode with um, Mobile Suit Gundam Gun- or Mobile Suit Gundam Wing. And uh, we'll actually only be doing just the s- television series on that, which we'll be doing Endless Wall separately in, in the Gundam Roundup. So, uh, Chris, any anything on the news front, MHQ front, or anything like that? Uh, not right at the second. Okay, cool. Solbro, anything else? I just want everybody to peep the websites. That's right, mahq.net, gundam.net. And if you like MySpace, you can find us there on myspace.com slash gundam, the show. Also, you can reach us by email by just emailing us here at gundammahq at gmail.com. And most, most importantly, you can find us on Zoom and, of course, iTunes just by searching Gundam. All right. 
The Zoom? <laughs> you mean the Blockbuster Zoom? The Blockbuster Zoom, man. Who has no. those? The, the the item that'll eclipse the iPod. <laughs> I'm drinking. Is it? Yeah, I think I think if one's going to listen to us on the Zoom, it's either going to be Bill Gates or Steve Ballmer, and that's it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't forget, don't forget Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I forget his last name, but he listens to us on the Zoom, and then we're finally up there, so Zoom users have at it. All right. Well, um, I guess my closing thing is, and I guess this would be one of these things directed to all of our uh, U.S. listeners out there. I, I encourage everybody out there that's of voting age to vote in this year's presidential election. That's Always straight. remember that you're not wasting a vote, but you're wasting your right to vote if you don't. So, you know, just uh, do, do the proper thing and, and do what needs to be done and, you know, you know, be an American because, you know, it's very important. So. Way, to, way to PSA. Vote early. Vote. vote early, vote often. And, uh, you know, so um, along with myself, Neo, and Solbro, and, and Chris, we're going to get out of here, and we'll see you guys in a few weeks on episode 23. And um, we're out. Peace. I swear, huh? I swear, Suzaku, so help me. I will one day obliterate Britannia! Damn at MHQ is a Shinjuku station in MHQ production. Where are you from? You mixed up? He's <laughs> like, I'm mixed, man. I'm mixed up. It's all. So I'm, I'm confused, man. Look, look, I'm gonna tell you the truth, man, for real. You're Pakistani, that's real. That's real. Okay. Okay. That's the start. What's the rest thing? Pakistani is where everybody gets. <gasps> There's a Scot in here! <laughs> this motherfucker have brave heart and have braver heart. Half Pakistani, half Scotch. Hey man, look, my mother is half white. How about that? I'm, I'm what you call the new Americans, because my dad is all black and my mom is half white, what? which makes me 75%. <laughs> that's right, that's the new Americans, and my wife is Filipino. And so my kids are Puerto Rican somehow, you understand? <laughs> the whole world is getting mixed up. That's how it's gonna be in a little while, we all just gonna be beige. <laughs> We might be the last generation, right? We're all mixing up. It's all good. We'll be one world soon. Uh, you know what? I say a lot of racist jokes, and my mouth says racist things, but my penis is a humanitarian. He's got a big. He's got a bigger vision than I do. I'm sorry. He sees, he sees the big picture. That's all I can tell. You.